discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. This is Mike the Polymath coming from the Easy Peasy Workshop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. dude i don't know when the last time i saw you was like in person yeah i think so i have a memory of uh my brother just saying like hey i'm gonna go grab a beer at grand junction uh, okay with uh with a couple of my friends and uh you know do you want to come and i was like sure why not and i, I remember uh, you specifically, I don't remember exactly everyone there. I think it was, uh, it's you know, probably Mike, Keith and Mike, Mike, Mike Reese. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, um, right. but, uh, yeah, I remember you because you were super excited, I think about easy peasy mm-hmm. at that point in time. I don't mm-hmm. know if you had started it yet at that point in time. Maybe, maybe just, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you were super excited about it and yeah, you were, uh, talking to, to me a lot about it. And, uh, I don't know. I was just super interested because I was, uh, interested in entrepreneurship at that point in time. So I was kind of soaking it in. So I remember that. I don't know. I think that probably was when I was still in college, maybe like 2018 or something Mm -hmm. around there. But yeah. No, that sounds about right. That would have been like early easy peasy. I think I started in 2017. Um, But dude, like I've been pretty stoked following you lately because first of all, you've been putting out poetry, which I respect. And I, I do a little, I dabble, I dabble in the poetry, yeah. um, but your in or your YouTube channel, I'm like, this shit is badass, dude. Thank you. Appreciate that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that, that kind of has been a thing that's almost like hard for me to describe because I'm like a mega nerd of <laughs> YouTube, like in general, just like YouTube. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, from like a very young age, probably like 14 or something like that. I just loved watching YouTube videos and like I, um, you know, like curated my, my list of, uh, you know, like uh, channels that I watched. And so like by the time I was in in college, um, you know, maybe like, uh, four or five years later, I feel like I had almost like developed this like taste almost for, for YouTube videos and especially video essays. So I, I think I, that's when I was, you know, unconsciously the seed was planted to start creating something. Um, and weirdly at that point in time, um, I was 
definitely not someone that would write anything. Like writing for me uh, at that point in time was like, you know, just like a weird thing that other people did. You know, I was very into math and like, uh, you know, uh, you know, physics and stuff. And that's kind of like how, that's how I was in college. I was a big nerd. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm still a pretty big nerd today. But um, if you had asked me at that point in time, like, do you think you'll ever write a poem in your life? I am sure I would have like laughed in your face or, you know, something yeah, yeah. like, you know, never would have believed it. Um, but yeah, I think the, the seed was planted back then. And um, I've just uh, wanted to create uh, something. And it's, yeah, it's been a weird process where, you know, all of those, those three videos started as notes on my phone. Um, where I would just, you know, like have the idea, write it down and then just come back to it. And each of those videos have probably been like living in my head for at least like two years before uh, yeah, they yeah, yeah. videos. Um, and then, uh, yeah, they just kind of blossomed into what they, what they are. Um, and I, I need to make more, but <laughs> well, I asked you that recently. Um, like, yeah. do you have any more in the works? Because I think the three that you put out so far have like a lot of value. Um, and one of them seems to have actually gotten a fair amount of views. Uh, I mean, not crazy, but like in, in the thousands, right? Like, yeah, it was like, it was like, you have three videos, two of them are in like the five, 600 view range. And then the one is like, what, 5,000? Like, yeah, I think it's almost 6,000 now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that one, uh, I mean, the title of it is Why the U.S. Presidency is a Joke. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. probably the uh, the clickbait factor is definitely at work there. But um, you got to play the game, man. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. I, I, I 100% believe in, in playing that game. But um, yeah, I think um, that one kind of hit on something, you know, some people were, were you know, feeling but you just don't see out there and that's that's kind of like what I'm going for with a lot of the videos you know that I have planned in the future is um they're just kind of like ideas that I think people are thinking but no one's talking about Mm -hmm. and that's Mm kind of how I felt with the the U.S. presidency thing and um I don't know I don't I don't want to get too into politics but I'm pretty like I, I'm pretty hardline center in politics. Like yeah, I, yeah. I very much believe in like not um, falling prey to the parties. And that's kind of the theme of that video is like, um, I think there's a lot of structural, uh, you know, uh, consequences of our system that um, have created the, the problems that we see today. And it's actually not just like one side being bad. <laughs> yeah. America. Perhaps one of the greatest achievements of humankind. It's the first stable democracy in human history. It's created more wealth than any nation in history. And although it has consistently fallen short, it at least tries to create a more equal and free society for everybody. But if you're anything like me and you've been paying attention to politics in the past six years, you might have a hard time taking it seriously. I have a very nice figure. I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. (laughs) Over this time, things seem to go from unexpected to shocking to incomprehensible. There are, of course, a lot of issues with America. But perhaps the most glaring is the office of the President of the United States. 
poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. I was raised to believe that the president was the most revered position in the world. Not only the most powerful person, but also the most righteous person, wielding that power with grace and respect for all mankind. This romantic image is, of course, broken for nearly every American at some point. But even if the president isn't the shining hero of justice, we still expect the person to be competent. The says, I'm going to recuse myself. And I said, why the hell didn't he tell me that before I put him in? Mr. President, sir. The last two presidents don't even come close. The overall lack of touch with reality seems to be spiraling downward into a painful joke. And rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. Meanwhile, there are real changes that our country overwhelmingly supports, but our government can't seem to accomplish any of them. And as expected, the last two presidents are the least approved of all time. So how did we get here? Why is the U.S. presidency a joke? I think it can be broken down into three reasons. Hypocrisy, plutocracy, and mythology. Let's start with hypocrisy. Every country in the world has founding principles, ideas that the entire country is based upon or aspires to. For America, these principles are spelled out in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, equality, and freedom are the two founding principles of America. Other countries have differing value systems, including beauty, nature, religion, community, among many other attributes. But all, no matter what they value, come upon the same problem as America. Their values will always be contradictory. Let's make up a fake country called Fakelandia, and let's choose two ideals at random, exploration and purity. If we endow our hypothetical country with these values and let it play out, we may see it go well at first, where cleanliness, preparedness, and organization are popularized and valued alongside curiosity, adventure, and progress. But inevitably, these two ideas will clash. What happens when one sect of society wants to pass a bill mandating that all houses be maintained to a certain level of cleanliness, while another vehemently refuses as they would like to explore their curiosity about what a clean house even means? This kind of clash will happen again and again, and this is no different than America. Freedom and equality are inherently contradictory ideas. It was freedom of commerce at our founding that allowed citizens to buy and sell slaves, thus creating an unequal society where some had more freedom than others. Meanwhile, those same free markets gave birth to the richest country in history, but even this was at the cost of steep wealth inequality. In general, when societies promote freedom, inequalities will arise from people's differences, and vice versa. If you enforce equality, then you will have a uniform society where no one has freedom to pursue what they want. But what does this have to do with the president? Well, countries always find their sweet spot somewhere in the middle of their founding principles, and for good reason. But as a leader of a country, you must defend all of it. So as president, there is no way not to be a hypocrite. The moment the president favors freedom, they've lost equality. 
And the moment the president favors equality, they've lost freedom. Now, it's easy to see which party values which principle more than the other. And today, presidents are actually comfortable blatantly sacrificing one value for another. But they don't own up to this fact. They tell you they love all the principles of America, but they prioritize one value in their actions. So at the same time that their rhetoric is hypocritical, their actions are alienating the part of the country that prioritizes the value in the opposite way. So it's actually even worse. They're being a hypocrite and polarizing the country. To their most loyal supporters, this may seem sane. But to most of us, this just looks exactly how it should. Laughable. Didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. America is a democracy, right? And may God protect all those who stand watch over our democracy. God bless you all. Democracy. Thank you. Well, yes and no. At the inception of the U.S., our Constitution set up a representative democracy, wherein the people democratically elect representatives in the form of U.S. congressmen, while smaller municipalities like cities and states did the same. But even then, the creators of the system didn't really believe in democracy. They feared the tyranny of the uninformed masses, a criticism against democracy first explained by Socrates and Plato thousands of years ago. And it goes like this. A democratic system would incentivize a certain breed of politician that would give intoxicating speeches and free handouts like bread in ancient times or money now, instead of actually governing with the wisdom and rationality to do what's best for everyone. They feared this system would create an unstable society where there's no incentive to create or own anything and any politician would simply become a tyrant dictator. The founders of America looked at the behavior in their local pub, and they bought this argument. So even at our outset, only white male landowners, thought to be more educated and better able to make political decisions, could vote, not the entire populace. And even these landowners couldn't vote directly for the president or senators. However, over time and thanks to the courage and tenacity of many Americans, America is now pretty much a full democracy where everyone more or less can vote. Yet today there are countless issues where the overwhelming majority of Americans agree on changes and have agreed for quite some time, but the government does nothing about it. How does this happen? Well, the formation of party politics, and especially a two-party system, has created a situation a lot like a monopoly, except on government power instead of a market. These two parties have no incentive to care about what individuals want. Instead, they care about one thing, winning elections. And they figured out that winning elections is more of a matter of playing a very specific game. Make money, say the right things. The Swamp, an HBO documentary, shows how in the United States House of Representatives, the positions of leadership are directly determined by exact dollar amounts a specific politician can fundraise for their respective party. And there are two ways to fundraise money, ask rich people for donations or become popular enough with normal people to ask them for donations. It seems like the best way to become popular enough to ask people for donations would be to actually attempt to pass legislation that people want. But this is a failing strategy because one, no one individual can make this happen. So one must fall in line with the party to get anything done. And two, the party has no incentive to actually solve problems because problems create motivation for votes. 
So it's a better strategy for the parties to act like they're solving problems without actually solving anything at all. Now, it's easy to look at this as a moral failing of the parties, but it's actually not. We usually blame politicians for appearing like they don't care about the people, but actually they're just doing their best under the rules of the game. The problem is the political game we have set up here has no alternative. If one of the parties had an ethical epiphany tomorrow and decided they would stop caring about winning elections and instead do what they thought was best for Americans, they would lose. They would lose so badly that the entire party would dissolve into nothingness. So somehow we have a system of government in America where if a party actually does what Americans want, they will disappear into oblivion. This system is probably not what we want. But what does this have to do with the president? Well, deep, deep down, we all have at least the smallest expectation that the president ought to be a good leader. In this system, of which the president is the ringleader, is one that does anything but promote the best leader to the top. Who becomes the leader of a party in this system? The person who can prey on people's base fears and garner support from the rich. So while the president, no matter what party, travels around the country and the world praising the founding ideals of America, Save our democracy. the U.S. isn't really a democracy. In reality, only the most fearful and the most rich among us elect and control the president. So what do we do? We laugh to keep from asking the question. Why in the hell are we still doing this? <laughs> Now, since the president doesn't actually represent the views of the populace, they have to try very hard to make you believe that they do. Look at the itinerary of the president. Handshaking, photo shoots, dinners, speeches, and on and on and on. Instead of actually being a good leader, they check the boxes of how good leaders have tended to appear in the past. And when they're working, they're fundraising for their next election, doing PR stunts or playing the game of politics, which is saying the right things to appease the public and trying to win votes for their party. All of this is symbolic. This has gone on for so long that most of us, the regular people, have come to expect these symbols. We want to see a president in a nice suit who says the right things at the right times and checks all the boxes of tradition. We want a leader who shakes hands in a way that looks tough and powerful or looks like a progressive example for the world. This is the mythology of the president. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong about symbols. There would be no such thing as communication without them. But when we confuse symbols for the real thing, we're doomed. The U.S. president is the most powerful person in the world. And when we, as a society, stuff this role full of symbolic tradition, we replace a real leader with a symbol. In a lot of countries in Europe, they still have monarchies. Most Americans think this is silly because they're just powerless rich people who get a lot of attention. They're symbols. But is America really that different? Instead of having a real monarch, we task our president with the role of being the symbol of the nation. At least in democratic monarchies, the monarchy can play the game of public appeal, so parliament can pay more attention to actually doing their jobs. Am I saying that America should have a monarchy? Absolutely not. But in many ways right now, our president is already a monarch. They wear the mask of a no-nonsense businessman who gets stuff done, while in actuality, they're parading around doing very little to make the average person's life better. And worst of all, 
they won't admit it, which sadly is a joke. So are we doomed? Is America destined to spiral into a laughable mess? No. I think there are much bigger problems that a country could face than those of America. In the face of our problems, the American people are still energetic, thoughtful, and truly want the best for their country and the world, even if we disagree massively on what that means. So how do we get out of this hole? How do we recover the presidency from being a joke? In my opinion, it comes down to three things. Separate the symbols from the leader create a better system with better incentives, and learn how to accept each other despite our disagreements. If we can loosen our grip on expectations on what's presidential and simply judge our leaders based upon how productive government is at producing and maintaining well-being, then they will be free to act as a good leader should. If we can create a better electoral system and regulate money in politics, then we can create a system that holds politicians accountable to listen to their constituents and solve problems. And if we can learn to accept that there will be some contradictions in life and we don't need to hate each other over our disagreements, then we'll create healthy communities where we can have important conversations about our country. Then, if we're lucky, we can laugh about how it used to be. There it is again, that funny feeling, that funny No, I, I fully agree. Like, I think people are, so something I've been like diving into lately is like, why do people fall into these camps? Right. I think it's a nature of our psychology where like, um, people want to belong. People want to be a part of a group. And if you if you convince them that there are only two groups and you must choose between them, uh, people generally like buy that and they jump in with one side or the other and they turn off their own like critical thinking ability and they just go with the party, whatever the party says. And it's, it's a little like disconcerting because I'm all about like, People need to think freely and, and, and like think for themselves, but it seems like a lot of folks don't. And I appreciate what you've been putting out because it is so like down the center. Um, you, you almost give me like an apolitical vibe, yeah. which I kind of fall into too, right? Like I, I call myself an anarchist, but that's, that's not exactly like, apolitical it's it's still kind of political yeah um it's anti-political you know there's like there's apolitical and then there's anti-political yeah like yeah, yeah. i'm kind of anti-political but i like i like what i've seen come from you because it's very reasonable it's very like like no bullshit man like so there was i i'm almost i'm a i'm, I'm a little bit upset that that was the video that got big because I really enjoyed your video about like sense of self. Yeah. And um, what was that called? What was that called? So that one, it's uh, a great question. That might have been me. Ding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> silence that guy. Actually, I think it might have been me. Uh, yeah. We're both silent. All okay. Right. We're good. 
put that on there. Um, yeah, so that one, um, you know, this is the funny thing is um, I, I don't even know if I remember the title of it. And I also don't memorize any of my poetry. <laughs> so like when people, yeah. you know, ask that sometimes I'm like, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't, not as what, it is not what matters in my brain. Um, but it's, it's about identity. I think it's called, um, identity in a virtual world. Um, okay. Okay. Something, something about the self identity in a virtual world. Um, yeah. And so there, you know, I'm mostly exploring. Um, so like, I think we are rapidly, you know, as a, as a society, you know, technology is increasing at a very rapid pace and we are rapidly approaching, um, you know, a very virtual world compared to, you know, even 10 years ago, you know, we're going to see a lot more, uh, doctors visits online, you know, you're going to be, the the metaverse is going to come, you're going to be able to go on vacation online, you know, you're going to, um, buy your vacation to France and it's going to, you know, you're going to have your goggles on and you're going to be walking down, um, you know, the, the street, the cobblestone streets in France, and it's going to automatically order, order Uber eats to your, uh, food or to your address. And it's going to be French food that, you know, yeah. would you'll be, be you'll yeah. be eating croissants <laughs> and beignets in your, on your couch, but you think that you're in France. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's going to happen. I think pretty rapidly i mean the uh the apple version of the metaverse just uh they just released the you know those... the google glass or not google but yeah yeah right. yeah, the um, apple version yeah yeah and i think that's gonna happen um faster than some people think um and so you know we, we were already talking about a little bit of uh community and stuff and you know that's i think plays into this too but um, just people's sense of identity is going to be very rapidly changing with, you know, your ability to create an avatar in a world that is completely independent from, you know, your, your actual life. Mm-hmm. So you don't have any of the, the baggage, like no one knows anything about your history or, um, you know, about you. And, uh, I think that's probably going to cause some problems for some people and you're going to see like a, a ready player one type thing. Um, that movie, that fucking movie, man. Um, you know, I've actually never seen the movie or really? read the book, oh, but it's, I know like about it. It's very poignant. Um, now you tell me if I'm crazy here, I'm, I'm breaking the fourth wall, but like sure. you sound good on that microphone. Okay. I think I sound like shit on this microphone. I might switch it out. Okay. How does it, it sound in your headset? It sounds good. It's a little bit louder than my voice. Really? But, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, fuck it. Maybe we just roll on. Um, this I mean, whole you, this whole setup, like I got all this shit for free, so I'm like still oh, kind of figuring out which bits and bobs work it looks better. Super professional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, if it's free, I'll take three. You know. Yeah. But I just I looked it up while we were talking there. Um, that video we're referring to, it's called "Who Am I." Identity in the virtual world. And that's the one to me that stuck out the most. Uh, Your third one, which was also very good, why the COVID pandemic was a disaster. Yeah. And I fully agree. You know, if anything, so like me watching that video, you know, I had a lot of very strong opinions about COVID and about how it was handled. Yeah. And part of me wanted to be pissed at you for being so neutral about it all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
but I respected it because it's like, no, he's, he's being super reasonable, mm. super reasonable. <laughs> and like, I have been less than reasonable. <laughs> so I respected it, but it was like, it was like you, you took that centrist view of like mistakes were made, but like something had to be done. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but what I think I might actually do with your permission sure. is rip the audio from all three videos and like put them into this conversation where they kind of seem to make sense. Yeah. Um, because you clearly wrote that shit out. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was very, you ever heard the term economy of words? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You had a very good economy of words. You mm. you said what you wanted to say in as few words as possible, which to me is like, that's what poetry is all about. Mm. Like, how do I say this idea in as few words as possible? Yeah. And you know, I guess if I can be like brutally honest, like I've read some of the poems that you've put out. Mm. And every every so often I'm like, I see what he's saying, but I wish he had said it in less words. <laughs> but you yeah. did a very good job on those YouTube videos of saying it as succinctly, as as condensed as possible. And I I think, you know, I asked you this when I texted you to come on the show. I'm like, do you have any more videos in the works? Right. And you said, yeah, because um, it's been a while. It's been right. a while. Yeah. <laughs> It has. So what, what's, what's your like strategy at this point or what are you thinking? Yeah. And actually I'm going to touch on something you said before too. Um, but yeah, so for the future, um, it's just, uh, my strategy is to try to make more videos. Um, and the, the type of video is going to be a lot different. I think it's just going to be a camera on me. Um, mm. and I'm going to be just, uh, you know, reading an essay almost, um, and uh, they're going to be shorter essays. So I have a series planned on uh, on politics in general. Like uh, I think it, it's just you know it's similar theme to those where it's like I really am not taking a side. And in, in fact, like making the argument of why I think taking a side is so destructive mm -hmm. to our mm -hmm. society. Um, and yeah, just kind of digging in, into that a little bit. Um, I also want to do a series on capitalism versus communism because I think that just gets screwed up a lot in our society. I think misunderstanding those, Agreed. Um, those Agreed. two things. Yeah. yeah it's just a, a huge problem. Um, so yeah, I want to get into those and, um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to, to mention, so, uh, just about writing in general, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that about the poetry versus, uh, the videos, because I think that says something very deep about writing. Cause maybe you've experienced this where, you know, cause you write a lot, um, mm -hmm. like, it sometimes you're too close to your writing. Like you, you know what you mean. Yeah. 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 But it's really hard to uh, like kind of separate yourself from it and just like be an editor. Like, you know, so you write out your rough draft and um, the, when you're reading through it, there's just so much going on in your head when you're reading it, Like, Oh, I want to add this. I want to delete that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you cannot read it like somebody would actually read something. This is a problem that I, I, I feel like I have a lot. Um, I have a hard time editing um, what I've written, but uh, you know, I think that hearing you say this gives me hope because um, the, the YouTube videos 
were edited a lot more than the poetry. The poetry is just kind of like my stream of consciousness. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah right. I want to express something. I don't think I'll ever, you know, publish any any of that poetry. It's just like you know, yeah, there, there's ideas in my head that I want to get out, and it feels good to like write poetry. <laughs> fully, fully relate, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. So on that note, I finally I had to take like a year, not quite, but like ten months. You know, I wrote my novel. Yeah. And I edited my novel. Congrats, by the way. Myself. Thank you. Um, but I edited it myself right after writing it, which was a mistake. You know, I had a friend who was like, I'll edit it, but she had work and this and that, and it, it was taking longer than I wanted. So she got like maybe a third of the way through, and I just kind of was like, all right, I'm just going to do it myself. And I did a decent job, but... As soon as I ordered copies and they came in the mail, it was like I was doing everything on the laptop and I was getting so burnt out on staring at the mm. laptop, yeah. right? It's hard to read for hours and hours yeah. with a backlit screen. Yeah. So I, I got my copies in the mail, you know, like I sold a bunch of them, whatever, not a bunch, but you know, yeah. like whatever, 40, 50 copies and... um and I was like so kind of over it. You know, I was like sick of my own voice, right? Mm -hmm. I was like annoyed with myself. Sometimes I get this way with the podcast where it's like, <laughs> I have to take a break from my own shit, you know, like yeah, from yeah. my own ideas. And so I, I, you know, I said, fuck the book, you know, I put it on the shelf. And just like a week ago, I finally was like, okay, I think I'm ready to like go through it and be real thorough. And like read every sentence mm -hmm. and check the punctuation, check the spelling, check the grammar. Yeah. And it was kind of refreshing because it was like it, enough time had gone by since writing the quote unquote rough draft. Right. Um, I had like forgotten what I wrote. Right. So it made it easier to read without knowing what the next word was supposed to be. Right. Like the hard part about editing your own material is that you might read it not as it is on the page, but as it was in your head. Right. And so, yeah, like I said, it, you know, enough time had passed and it was actually fun to go back through it. Cause it's like, I forgot I even wrote that. Right. I yeah. forgot I even wrote that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a tricky thing, man. It's a tricky thing to be your own editor. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's why it's important to work on multiple things at once. I think I tend to overdo this sometimes, where I'm working on like too many things at once. Yeah, but, me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you just want to do all the things. But um, yeah, I think uh, definitely is important to like forget what you've written. I mean, yeah, that happens to me with uh, with poetry too. Like I, I've rewritten, uh, even though like you know I care a lot less about them, I'll still come back to the the poems and, and rewrite them and. Um, you know, it, it's a really good feeling to be like, oh, I completely forgot about, you know, what what that was. And the mm -hmm. other thing is like, uh, what I've noticed with poetry is, so like it starts out as um, like something from my life, you know, like something I want to express, but then... A feeling. Yes, yeah, some, right. some kind of feeling. And then, um, you know, the one that I have rewritten the most, which is maybe like, you know, a dozen versions at this point, um, now it's just a story. Like it's, it's departed from my life and like, I can't, I can sort of relate to it. I can remember the feeling that, um, that I was trying to express, but it's its own thing. Like it's, 
it's not really a reflection of my life. Um, and so I don't know that that's kind of been interesting to me too, where it's kind of just like takes on a life of its own. I don't really know what that means or where I'm going with that. No, but actually yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Um, I've said multiple times, like it does not, to me, it doesn't feel like the novel. I didn't, I didn't come up with that story. Hmm. I just wrote it. Yeah. Like the story told itself. Um, if that makes sense, it's like, uh, I mean, that sounds kind of like hippy dippy ethereal or whatever, but I was not planning on writing about what I wrote about. As I started writing, it just unfolded. Mm. And um, I recently put an episode out where uh, I revisited on the same note, like you have to like take some time away from your, your content to be able to assess it properly. Okay. And I had done all these live, you know, Instagram live videos during like the summer of love, right? Right. And I hate to say it, I deleted some that I wish I hadn't. Mm. Um, but I still had a handful in the Instagram. It's kind of like I was almost embarrassed by how honest I was being. Mm. And the fact that like what I said three three years ago isn't 100% the same as what I'm saying now, right? right? Like I've learned. Right. Um, so I deleted some stuff like out of embarrassment and I shouldn't have, mm. I shouldn't have, I should have, um, waited. Right. And gone back to it much, much later when I could kind of assess what, what was good and what was bad instead of just deleting it and saying, fuck it, it's gone. Yeah. Like there was still, stuff to learn by rewatching, rereading, whatever. Right. You know, when you're when you write, when you speak, you say what you're thinking in that moment, but a couple years later, yeah. it's worth being able to go back and revisit so you can kind of figure like, okay, what's changed? Why has it changed? Yeah. And analyze that. Yeah. Um and I kind of touched on this idea of interpretation on my most recent episode where it's like how do I say this? So interpretation is about revealing what's there, like mm. maybe under the surface a little bit. I, I correlated it with tour guiding and, and shit like this. Like the difference between education and interpretation is that with education, you're being told what is. And with interpretation, you're kind of being told what's beneath that, what's, what's broader, what's, what's right. the context. Right. And I think in terms of like rereading what you've written, it's very, very difficult to interpret unless you've like taken a breath and separated from it and then yeah. come back to it later. Does that make sense? That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've thought about it that way, but yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it's just, uh, there's, it feels like there's so much going on in my head when I, I rewrite something like it's just like so many ideas and, um, and emotions too. Um, or yeah, when I'm, when I'm rereading it, that it kind of just makes it hard to yeah interpret. I think that's, that's the right way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, and with poetry, um, the whole point of poetry mm is that it's left open to interpretation, yeah, right? That's true. Uh, if it if it wasn't a bit ambiguous, yeah. There's no you can't call it poetry. You know, right. 
When there's no ambiguity, we call that technical writing, right? <laughs> yeah. That's 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 a that's a that's a fucking user manual. That right. is a that is like a how-to book. No, <laughs> with poetry, it has to be intentionally like up to interpretation. And um, anyways, like I see I see a spark in your writing, even though, like I said, like I'm like Grady, like less 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 is more less is more but i can see what yeah. you're getting at yeah. um for me it's hard to interpret something when it's like too wordy yeah you know you got to slim it down make it make it concise and make it a bit ambiguous so yeah in my mind that's what like that's what gets the wheels turning when you're like what does he mean mm. it shouldn't be abundantly clear it yeah. should be up to interpretation no i i really like that i think that's that is actually really good feedback because I mean, part of the reason why I put those uh, poems on my Instagram stories, cause I, I want feedback. Like I want to, mm -hmm. um, I want to see what people are thinking. And it's funny that you say that. Cause um, I, when I'm writing poetry, I think I'm being too ambiguous cause my brain is naturally very abstract. Sure, um, sure. So like I, I over try to explain in, in the last, I, uh, that's, that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good to hear, you yeah, know, hear yeah. that, uh, that feedback because yeah, I'm like, Oh, no one's going to get what I'm, what I'm trying to say here. And maybe they won't, maybe, maybe people won't understand. I think they would if you said less. Yeah. To I'm, some extent, some yeah. of them might not, but yeah, you know, I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just saying like, um, when I when I was reading through your poems, I'm like, I know what he's trying to say, but he's he's just saying more yeah. more than he has to, yeah. And, and that almost confuses things. Like like I said, less is more. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, yeah, that that was a thought that that came recently to me. It's like you know, I think I probably like I probably could condense what's you know maybe four stanzas into one, and then that like there's a greater story to be told here. Like there mm -hmm. there are. There are you know, I'm cutting this off maybe a little bit too early. Um, and you know, there's, there's more actually to be, to be told. So maybe that's, that's what to come. That is what is to come next. Um, one of my friends, uh, messaged me, he actually, he's put out a couple, um, poetry books and, uh, he, he put, he just asked if he could put one of my poems in the, the beginning of his. Hmm. So I guess, uh, I am <laughs> published in some sense. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's yeah, better than nothing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he, he recently said that you need to get into, um, uh, what is it, free verse, I think, where you're mm. not rhyming. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I've been, I just bought a couple uh, free verse books and I'm uh, trying to get into that. But I think, I think that's definitely a move. I've been, I think uh, rhyming has been the, the right constraint for me. Um, it gives some like structure yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I need to kind of branch out. So I wrote my first ver or first uh, poem in like a year, probably. Okay. You know, it was like I wrote a lot of poetry um, before I wrote the book, and then after I wrote the book, I was like done. I was like taxed. I'm yeah. like, I'm like, I'm yeah. I'm gonna take a break from expressing myself. Yeah. I'm, just, you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna exist for a while. But yeah. I wrote because because the mood struck. Um, I wrote this poem. I went to a. Uh, Indians game, right? Our, okay. our minor league ball ball yeah, yeah, yeah. ball game, Indians. and um, let's see here, where the fuck did I put it? But I I wrote this this because it was just one of these moments where it's like, um, 
like there's an there's a feeling here that's kind of difficult to express. Yeah. God damn. Um Yeah. I'm not finding it. I've had this problem so many times. Right, right. <laughs> I've even started like trying to use labels in my uh in my notes app, but it is just a mess. Oh, dude, there. dude, I thought I had it like right here. Oh, shit. Well, you know what? Oh, here it is. Okay. And I think this is kind of free verse. I don't think there's any rhyming here. But long story short, my parents were at the ballpark with my niece and nephew. Okay. They're like, hey, come out, watch the ball game. I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have a bit of a challenging relationship with my family, but I love my nieces and nephews because guess what? They're... They're young enough to not be confused. Mm. They know what they like. They know what they don't like. You know, and luckily they like Uncle Mike, you know, <laughs> but I wrote this shit, right? Yeah. I said, as I walk towards the ballpark, down a winding path along the White River, eating mulberries and Saskatoons, getting sticky fingers, when I arrive at the game with a purple, or I'm sorry, with purple hands and lips, I see my kin. I smile with teeth still full of seeds and a warm heart as the first pitch is thrown with beer franks and cracker jacks on the menu i realize how lucky i am mm. and that was the first poem i've probably written in like nine or ten months mm. um but it doesn't have to rhyme it doesn't have to like say anything in particular it just has to be a feeling you know yeah and um for whatever reason, like baseball always kind of like gets me nostalgic or, yeah. I don't know, you know, but yeah, yeah. anywho. No, I mean, it's, it's, that's a vivid image. Like as you were, you're reading that, I feel like I could kind of, you know, put myself there. And I think that's the, the, uh, the idea there's, there's so many. So like that, that idea though, painting a vivid image in someone's mind, you mm -hmm. can play with that so much, like what that actually means, you know, cause that's essentially what like all art is doing in some sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I felt that, uh, I thought it was, that was beautiful. <laughs> well, for anybody that doesn't know what a Saskatoon is, are you, are you familiar? I wasn't, but I feel like my brain just made it up. <laughs> it's okay. So June berries, service berries. Gotcha. This is one of, okay. Little minor side tangent. Um, there are service berry bushes in darn near every residential neighborhood, every mall parking lot. Like this is a go-to landscaping plant that people don't realize they can eat. Huh. Okay. The Juneberry, the service, service berry is the common term for them. Yeah. Saskatoon. That's the less known version, but they are like blueberries except better. Oh, they have yeah. they have a little uh, seed. Each berry has a seed, and it's got a higher uh, omega fat content than almonds. Hmm. And it's like a it's like a sweet, savory berry, and they grow everywhere. And if you find one, you know they call them June berries because they're ripe in June. Hmm. You know, I'm walking along this path, you know, past the zoo, along the White River, heading towards Victory Field, right. and there's this service berry bush that's loaded so i take my ball cap off i fucking fill it up and i'm eating fucking service berries the whole way yeah. otherwise known as saskatoons 
And after I finished my ball cap full of berries, I realized, oh my God, like this is one of those days. Mm-hmm. Like this is one of those moments. This is one of those feelings where I am, I, I feel more human than I have in many, many weeks. Yeah. yeah I am, yeah. I am eating free food off the sidewalk on the way to a ball game with my niece, nephew and parents. Yeah. And I'm like, I was just in a kind of mood where I, you know, I had to write it. And the reason I chose the word Saskatoon's is because I had already said mulberries, right? I ate mm. a few mulberries on the walk too. And I ain't going to say mulberries and service berries or June berries. Right. That's too repetitive. You know? So how can I make this a little bit more ambiguous, a little more creative, a little more flows off the tongue? Yeah. You know, so mulberries and Saskatoons, that sounds way better. Yeah. And I figure when I wrote it, I'm like, if anybody ever reads this and they don't know what the fuck a Saskatoon is, I hope they look it up. Now they know. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they look it up. And that's, yeah. Now yeah, they know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite plants, the Juneberry, the yeah. serviceberry, the Saskatoon. So is yeah. that a, is that the Native American name, Saskatoon or? It might be. Um, probably. It's probably like a bastardized, like, you know, white, yeah. white bread version of a <laughs> word that once existed. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I think that comes down from like Michigan. Um, there are particular versions of the Juneberry that are referred to as like Saskatoon varieties. Gotcha. I don't know. Yeah. You know, as a plant guy, I know like 10% of what I need to know, <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember, you know, it's like I, that, that it's got a, it's got a ring to it. You yeah. Know, Saskatoon. It's become one of my favorite words just cause it's, it's a beautiful word. Yeah. Know? Well, so, uh, this just made me think, uh, so, you know, especially with what you do for work too. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was, I was talking to a couple of friends, um, the other day. And so like, I'm, I'm an econ nerd. I studied econ in college. Um, you know, I love, I, I read the economist. I love econ <laughs> nerd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably would be a couple more times where I nerd out. Um, <laughs> hey, I love it. I love it. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking is, so if you just think about like the entire industry, of lawns like shit oh yeah like i i think it probably would not be an overestimation to say that you could grow the united states gdp by like one or two percent which is huge by the way Mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm. that's like you know uh the difference between you know a a recession and not some in some cases Mm -hmm. um and uh, yeah if you could you know you know, just figure out how to make lawns productive because it's not just that, you know, lawns are just like this, uh, you know, thing that isn't productive. Like, you know, everyone could have, a, you know, a garden in their front lawn, but it's also that there's an entire industry of people, thousands, probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people in this landscaping industry mm-hmm. is just for aesthetic there is no functional purpose to it. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, and that is something that a lot of people are putting effort into. If you transition that into something that is productive, that, right. you know, actually has value and use for people, which is actually just sitting there, the, the term low-hanging fruit is just, like, too good <laughs> in yeah, this situation. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, it's just too, it almost seems like too good. Like, we have this thing that's just sitting there um, that could produce so much value for this for this country. It's it's almost like uh, 
baffling to me that you know the everyone doesn't have a garden in their yeah. front lawn like no. I don't know I'm right there with you man it's it's absolutely baffling it's baffling that people rake up their leaves and put them in plastic bags and send them to the garbage dump instead of just yeah reincorporating them into the soil um as nature would like yeah. um yeah you know like I used to be like more hateful <laughs> towards suburbia than I am now mm. um, because there's a lot of dumb shit. You know, they're, they're, they're just like, yeah, you're wasting your productive yeah. land. Um, but at this point, I like I said, I'm not as hateful because I think people are in some ways coming around. They're realizing they've got more grass than they know what to do with. They'd like to have a couple of berry bushes and a, you know, veggie garden. And, you know, obviously that's what I'm like capitalizing on. And, um, but it's, I think it's, it's very much subconscious for people. Whereas like for me, it's, it's at the front of mind. It's, it's fully conscious. Like you have too much fucking grass. I get calls from people that are just like, Hey, we'd kind of like to grow some this and that tomatoes, lettuce, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like I'll help you out. And I get there and I'm like, all right, you got all kinds of grass. Like <laughs> here's the best place for a vegetable garden. And like, oh, but we imagined it over here. I'm like, fuck what you imagined. Okay. I'm going to tell you what works, right? Yeah. What's practical. Like if you, <laughs> if you want to grow a vegetable garden, that's where you should fucking grow. Right. You know, like, yeah. and people, I, I actually fired a client a couple weeks oh, wow. ago uh, brand new client. They, they hit me up late in the spring, which is already like a red flag. Yeah. Um, they're like, Hey, we want a vegetable garden. It's fucking already may. I'm like, okay, like we'll get you going. But, uh, just so you know, like it's getting a little late in the spring, you know, so adjust your expectations. Right. And, um, and so I build the garden, I plant it. I had everything I needed minus like two peppers, and I had to go shop for those. And so I, I track a couple down, a couple days later, whatever. I text the client. I'm like, they're already, they paid for their membership. They, you know, paid for the installation. They're just waiting on these two pepper plants. Mm. And they have the expectation that I will be coming back, you know, every month for the rest of the season because they've paid for the membership. Long story short, I get the peppers, I text them, I say, hey, you know, I'll be there in a few days, I've got your peppers. And this guy comes back in a bad mood. He goes, it should have been done already. Hmm. Like, you should have had those peppers in the ground within a day or two of this, that, and the other, of having the garden installed. Hmm. And I, it was Saturday, <laughs> I had had a I had a couple of drinks and I got this text at like nine o'clock in the night. You know, oh, no. And I just see, you know, he's giving me fucking attitude. Yeah. I'm like, I, I've kicked ass for you already. Like, yeah. what the, f I don't deserve this shit. And so I texted him right back instantly. I said, I've got your peppers. I'm trying to remember exactly how I said this. I said, but I don't like. I said, this is the second time you've been rude to me because mm. he was rude to me once before. Mm. Similar thing, like blah, blah, blah. You know, his expectations versus reality. Yeah. And so I told him, I said, maintain your own damn garden. 
and he and he immediately comes back. He says, "All right, I want a refund on the membership, not on the installation." Yeah. Just to be clear, and me feeling kind of sassy and whatever, I said, "Nah." <laughs> and oh, uh he didn't like that he didn't like that yeah, so after a couple days you know i was like fuck it i'll give him his goddamn money back he basically was like we will still do the membership um but if whatever he's like either i want my money back or i want my shit which you know okay reasonable yeah. fair ish ish i just didn't like how rudy was about it and so i texted him i said you know what i don't think this is gonna work out I said, I'm sorry that, you know, apparently we can't see eye to eye here. Yeah. But um, I'm going to give you your money back and you're not getting those two peppers. <laughs> I, they're still in the back of the truck. They've wilted. <laughs> they're dead. But I'm like, I'll be damned before I give this fucker <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these peppers, you know. <laughs> and and oh, so <laughs> I don't know exactly what the point there was except to say that, like, dude, you just can't make everybody happy. And when people... When people treat you a certain way, just fuck it. It's not worth it, man. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, I don't even know how I got there. How did uh, I get there? I don't remember either, <laughs> but fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, let's let's hit the pause real quick okay. because I do need a beer. Yep. And also, I do want to trade out this microphone because I think it sounds like shit. Yeah, I think the top end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, something. we'll be right back. Okay. All right, we're back. And I sound so much better. Oh, I yeah. was I was talking into a tin can there. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, I'll turn it down a hair. How's that sound in your headset? Perfect. Pretty good? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, man. What the fuck were we just talking about? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. First of all, I appreciate your flexibility because uh, you were here before I was. Hey, no I got a little Sunday fun day vibe. Um, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was getting shit cleaned up around here. I'm like, all right, Grady's showing up at four. I'm like, fuck, I'm hungry. I got nothing in the fridge. It's like, better go out and get a pizza. A pizza turned into like four beers, a shot of liquor, actually a couple shots, and um, and then me running late. So thanks for not being like <laughs> I was like, I was like, he's gonna show up. I tried, I told you I tried texting you. Yeah. And um, it didn't go through. I'm like, he's gonna be gone. He's just gonna give up. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for waiting. Thanks for being patient, man. No worries, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, like uh I, I mean I'm an actual fan of the show, I guess, for the people listening. Um yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I was uh I, I don't think I was the first listener, but um my uh my brother was on the show and um yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's how I, I came across it and um yeah, I mean my so my favorite episodes are the ones where you know we're just a, a fly on the wall in Waffle House and you know mm-hmm. Bend Oregon and talking to police officers and your drug dealer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, the, dude, all the episodes with drug dealers have been killer. Oh have you gosh. did you listen to the one I called it like old school outlaws where it was I think um so. it was yeah. like basically a handful of dudes um that have all gotten busted for various forms of like drug stuff, you know, always like just weed. And, um, (laughs) you know, one of them spent like eight years in the fucking pen. Mm -hmm. He, he had the most sophisticated grow up in the state of Indiana up to that point. He had like a 30,000 square foot warehouse grow up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man, no, I appreciate that to me. I, 
the whole thing with this show is I want it to be real. I want it to be authentic. Yeah. I want people to um, never doubt whether or not like what we're saying is the authentic truth. Um, yeah. You know, I might be wrong about things occasionally, but at least I'm honest when mm. I'm wrong. You know, I'm doing my best or whatever, you know? Yeah, that actually, excuse me, reminds me of what we were talking about before. Um, th- I think there's just this weird thing in society um, where, uh, you know, there's just this expectation that, um, you know, that a person will have a set of opinions, beliefs, you know, whatever it may be and continue to have those, you know, for the rest of their life. We, we uh, expect this big time with, uh, with, um, politicians, you know, you, you can't, you can't change your opinion. Uh, you know, if you're a politician, it's just, you know, they call uh, that a flip flop. Right. But you know, like that is just, uh, you know, such a harmful idea to have in society people need to be able to change their minds. We need to be able to grow. Uh, there has to be some forgiveness there. Um, for people it's it's you know hard to find that you know spot especially with politicians because they have you know this ability to say whatever they want to say and um you know we have to kind of um pay attention to them and we don't know if they're trying to manipulate us we don't know you know if what they're saying is actually uh true so like there's this extra skepticism we have to bring with politicians but i think generally Generally, they are saying what they think we want to hear. Right. Many times. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think for a given person, you know, that has, a, a, like, a public image, so not necessarily a politician, maybe someone like Joe Rogan, like, there has to be, we have to be able to, uh, you know, let them change their minds. Um, like, they are people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they grow just like the rest of us and they make mistakes just like the rest of us. And it's, a, excuse me, weird, I think, uh, probably just an artifact of society that we just, uh, we don't really like to do that, you know? Nobody wants to admit they were wrong. That's true, yeah. You know, it's it's almost part of why I liked um, going back, like I said, and revisiting some of the stuff I put out like three years ago yeah. before I started the podcast. Um it was all Instagram live stuff, but it's like, you know, I don't even agree with myself right. at this point. Not on everything. I mean, most things, yeah, I haven't wavered, but like a few things I'm like, yeah, no, don't agree with that no more. But it's okay to admit that you were wrong. Yeah. It just takes a little bit of humility and a little bit of um, willingness to look stupid, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> it's like, I think... um Again, not trying to be political, but just like it's the same thing with Trump as it is with Biden. Neither of them can admit they were wrong at yeah. any point ever, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know. I, I think I have so little faith in our politicians that I have almost nothing to say there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's something that it's it's something I've thought about in regards to my YouTube channel. So specifically in the COVID video where I talk about inflation, mm. uh, I think my, my basic point there is wrong. Uh, I think uh, you know, as uh, to give myself the benefit of the doubt, as things unfolded since then, it's become very clear that um, printing money does have quite a large effect on uh, on inflation. Right, right. and I, I kind of played that down, but. Um, 
Yeah, I, like, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. And um, if you watch the videos, you might tell like, I'm a little bit OCD about those. And that's what I'm trying to be less of in the in the future. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of uh, something that I, I, I need to work past. But it's, I mean, my, my main point is like, it's, I feel like that's kind of uh, what society taught me is to be, uh, you know, to have a, uh, um, consistent record, you know, as far as opinions and stuff like that. Cause that's what people in the public sphere tend to at least try to make us think where it's like, Oh, I, I think this, or I believe this. And I've, I believed this my whole life. And, uh, you know, I've, I've never changed. It's really, it's, it's not easy to be that consistent though. Um, yeah. because we learn and we grow like some people in kind of my circles, um, talk shit about Joe Rogan. Mm. I respect the guy. I do. I do. Um, because I think he's humble enough to recognize he's not always been a hundred percent correct. And he will often say like, you know, self deprecating, like I'm an idiot. Like explain this to me. Like I'm a five year old and I respect that. I'm like, I'm like this dude, he's not afraid to express an opinion. And then he's not afraid to admit when those opinions might've been misguided or what have you. Um, I think why people are so over or or annoyed or whatever you want to call it by like the mainstream media and by most politicians Mm. is the complete and utter unwillingness to admit fault Mm. and to change, you know, we call it a flip flop, but there's a difference between flip flopping because it's politically expedient versus like changing your mind because you've learned something. Right. You know, right. there's a big fucking difference. And it's it's detestable to watch somebody reverse their opinion because it's the politically expedient thing to do versus I think it's very commendable and like respectable when somebody changes their mind because they've learned. Right. Right? Yeah. There's a vast, vast difference. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think, um, you know, when we talk about Joe Rogan, there's this weird thing where um do you know tarot cards yeah yeah so there's the the fool tarot card which i don't know a bunch about tarot cards but i think that's a good card to get the the fool i i mean i could be wrong about this but i think it's yeah there's like a a good side to it compared to some of the other ones um and i think we we've almost like lost that uh that like image in our society where like um, or at least we're like unconscious of it maybe at this point where, um, there actually is like a fundamentally good thing about being naive. So obviously, and we know the bad side of being naive, you know, you, there's uh, naivety and there's ignorance and they're, cl- yeah. you know, close cousins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, I, I think there's, yeah. And even like just, uh, of naivety, you're, however you say that um you know there's there's a good and bad side to it where it's you know the, the fool card i think he's like about a step over a cliff or something um <laughs> in, in the picture um yeah. but uh and but i think it is actually a good card because it's like um there is this like uh i think it's like humbleness and just innocence with being a fool where right, it's like right. you know I, yeah, I'm wrong. I'm wrong all the time. You know, like I'm human mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we're all, guess what? We're all human. We're all wrong. Um, you know, a lot of the time. And if you're honest about that, then it just makes 
communication and, you know, being humans together a lot easier. Yeah. And there is, I think, this uh, very good side of naivety. And that, that's, I don't know, Joe Rogan kind of like, it, to me, he like lines up that symbol in my brain. Like he is that, that fool card for our <laughs> yeah. society. Because yeah. I think we're very unconscious of that. Like as a society, I think we think being naive is just only a bad thing. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather be, I'd rather be naive than, um, what's the word I said already? Um, ignorant. Ig- ignorant. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. Because ignorance is kind of a choice. Like naivete is like, yeah. you're, you're born naive. Yeah. Um, you're, you only know what you know, but yeah. once you know something, if you choose to ignore it, yeah, then you cross into the realm of ignorance. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's why, like, Joe Rogan has way more fucking listeners, followers, watchers, whatever you want to call them, than CNN. Yeah. Dude, like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, primetime cable news is getting, like, one-tenth of the yeah. watchers yeah. as Joe Rogan. And it's because they act like they are above ignorance yeah. and naivete. They act like they are the end all be all truth. Yeah. And the more times they say shit that ends up being false and they refuse to humble themselves. I mean, it's no wonder, man, like yeah. people are smart. Like sometimes I, I, I get down on people and their ability to like think for themselves. But I think on average, generally speaking, most people are pretty smart. Yeah. They might be misled one way or the other, but they're not stupid. Yeah. And there's a reason, even if they haven't thought it out as thoroughly as I have or as you have, they might be busy, right? They've got family, they've got jobs, but instinctually they're like, fuck CNN. Yeah. I can tell they're full of shit. They yeah. can tell they're lying to me. And they, you know, they don't have to prove it to themselves. They're smart enough to realize when someone is bullshitting them. There's a reason, like I said, like I don't think Joe Rogan ever intentionally bullshits people Mm-mm. or 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 lies about whether or not he was wrong if he was wrong he'll admit it you know yeah do you guys remember the covid19 pandemic yeah this thing did you ever feel at times that it was just a dumpster fire i disagree it's science i'm sorry it's science. If it's you're wearing not a mask, science. it's a different story. 500 people at a Lowe's aren't any safer than 150 people in a restaurant that holds 600. I don't believe it. Sorry. Don't believe okay. it. Okay. Well, let's just review in case you've forgotten. First, masks were bad. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. Then, less than a month later, the CDC recommended masks. Then, two months later, states mandated masks in public which unsurprisingly sparked backlash. At the same time, emergencies were declared and lockdowns were put into effect, which caused businesses to fire employees, leading to the highest number of unemployment claims in U.S. history. And the stock market wasn't happy either, so they tried to make people happy by lowering interest rates, but that didn't work. So we got the biggest stimulus package in U.S. history, and then two more, which caused inflation, right? Wrong. It actually stopped deflation, but caused people to expect inflation. Then in good old pandemic spirit, some corporations realized that since people expect prices to go up, they had a green light to price gouge us. 
and not raise our wages. While in reality, it was the war in Ukraine and the effect of, I don't know, maybe a worldwide fucking pandemic that caused shifts in spending patterns was caused inflation. And did this tragedy bring us together? No, it started a cultural war instead. And that was just some of what happened. There were good things too, like the eviction moratorium. People who lost their jobs could actually stay in their homes, which was great. Except how did the small landlords actually pay their mortgage when they're not getting any rent? Oh, fuck. And then there was the vaccine, which looked really promising. I mean, new technology allowed us to develop it really quickly, but the government paid for it with some backdoor deals with pharma companies. And we know how that goes. And then we actually got it. And that was actually a landmark moment for science. It was huge. Except some people didn't want to get it. Okay, a lot of people did not want to get it. So then the government struck back with mandates and the people struck back with protests. Lots and lots and lots of protests. It was undoubtedly a scary time in US history. But let's just breathe. Breathing's good. Just breathe it out. We like breathing, but why? Why did this happen? And why did it happen the way it happened? Well, I'd wager you probably already know the answer to that question. We had a crisis and there was hysteria. Emotions were elevated, rationality was thrown out the window, and people needed black and white answers, regardless of the truth. And the culture war happily obliged with a very simple sentence, for or against science, which, well, lots of problems with that sentence, but we expected hysteria. And most people actually agree that the government response was pretty good. So what's the more interesting reason COVID-19 was a disaster? We don't learn from history. Absolutely none of what I described before is unprecedented in America's less than 300 year history. The stimulus packages and printing money are tools that we've used in the past. Price gouging and sweet deals with the government are of course nothing new. But more interestingly, mass mandates, protests against mass mandates, and protests against protests against mass mandates are all nothing new. They happened in the 1918 influenza in America. Even chin diapers are nothing new. And all the same is true for vaccines, too. In the 1890s and 1900s, the government went door to door forcibly vaccinating families for smallpox. And this was ruled constitutional by the government. And while there was never any mandate for the polio vaccine, there was mass propaganda that was used on popular radio broadcasts. Friends, for as many years as any of us can remember, the sadness that polio has brought to so many homes has been almost unparalleled. But a greater sadness than this lies ahead for any who may from now on catch polio, because it may be due to carelessness. Vaccination against polio, the well-known sock shots, is more than 75% effective. There was even wild conspiracy theories and a battle between the public and the chief government official for the virus, Rupert Blue. Just like Fauci, he repeatedly had to correct conspiracy theories. And there was also information suppression in an effort to control the narrative. So nothing is new. The cliche history repeats itself is golden here. Mistakes were made back then and today. And that's the lesson. 
Mistakes will always be made. And if there weren't, then we could hardly call this a crisis. So if we know crises are inevitable, and we know people will make mistakes, then we also know if we continue to blame and demonize each other over this, we will continue to repeat this story over and over again. But the good news is, we don't have to repeat this crazy loop over and over. We can accept that when a crisis comes along, people will make mistakes. And we can just forgive people for making mistakes. And only then can we move forward together and actually have a chance cooperating and moving through something, a stronger and more united country. So maybe, maybe, maybe then we can turn our dumpster fires into some awesome dumpster gardens. Just saying. Just saying. I don't know. Peace, people. Bye. And again, you know, some, people in the circles I run in tend to be pretty conspiratorial and like, they're like, oh, Joe Rogan, he's, he's controlled opposition. He's like part of the machine. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I think he's just a dude. I, I think, think he's, he's just a decent dude. Yeah. Doing too. his best, you know? <laughs> he's <laughs> not too. the smartest. He's not the <laughs> smartest man alive, but like he's, he's doing a good job. I yeah. think, you know? I think yeah. so too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, Funny you say conspiratorial, because um, when I think about that, as like in the in the context of, I guess, uh, current news and stuff, uh, you know, just uh, I don't know the past couple of years. So the the idea of like a deep state um, mm-hmm. comes into my brain, and I've actually like I push back on this idea a lot because so uh, this is not my job now, but for about three years I worked as a contractor for the DoD and um, they're really? like accounting, yeah, huh. um, yeah. So I was in the deep state. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean I I don't know how all agencies do things, but it definitely gave me this perspective that I think a lot of people are missing where like these big fat fucking agencies, which, you know, I can tell you plenty of stories of just absolute negligence and, you know, whatever you think about the laziness of, of those organizations, I guarantee you it's worse. It's worse. Yeah. It's worse. Yeah. 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 Um, but at the exact same time, as far as the like, ability to do something corrupt in those organizations it's fairly thin i think it would be very very difficult yeah. so like when you see things um like uh like some i think some reporter got uh like served by the irs the day he was supposed to go um to uh speak in congress something like that and there was there was kind of a a thing there uh, i forget his name maybe it was taibi um yeah. But uh so it like in my mind when I see that I think oh that's just a coincidence because like I've seen the foot soldiers of at least one uh, I mean the biggest United States agency the DOD and like I mean they're just these big fat organizations there's democrats there's republicans there's libertarians there's whatever the fuckians you know yeah. I mean it, it's really hard for me to believe that somebody would create uh, so it's possible to create like a DOJ that is left leaning. 
it's very, very difficult for me to believe. Um, because like, look, these people are under deadlines. They're trying to like meet quotas. They're just trying to like get someone in the door that has a security clearance. Like there's just so much bullshit and so much red tape that to me, it's, it's very, very difficult for like this deep state to be super corrupt. Now at the exact same time, if what we're talking about is like something like Fauci, where it's one person that, you know, has a lot of powder. That's a different story. And, where, is, and is profiting from the people he's supposed to be regulating. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. Th- yeah, there's a lot of incentives that are not good. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, that's a lot different than like saying that, that, you know, Matt Tavey was like, you know, um, I mean, maybe he was, I don't know, but like saying he was um, targeted by the IRS to me, like if, if that order comes down for that person to give that letter to Matt Taibbi and they know it's some corrupt thing, that person's going to be like, what the fuck is this? I'm like, I'm whistleblowing. Like I, cause I mean, I was in an organization that let's say like had something to do with Ukraine. And so that there was political things that were there. And if somebody had like given us a political command, I know for a fact, somebody would have been like, we're calling, you know, we're blowing the whistle on this. Like, this is not, this is not going to fly. Um, so, I mean, maybe that's just one organization. Maybe, I I don't know, but yeah. I had my little glimpse into the government. Like I, I I interned with the national parks. Right. Mm. And my experience generally was like, so, okay. I, let me backtrack. I often say yes. And, or like, when I say that, I mean, like, are they corrupt? Are they incompetent? Like, yes, and. Mm. Both, like, both, and, but, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I think I know, I think you know what I'm saying. So, like, from my experience in the park service, did people slack off and take advantage of their positions and steal from the government and do the bare minimum. Yes. Did some people kick ass and do all they could do despite the red tape, trying to fulfill the mission of protecting the park and the ecology. And yes. Yeah. You know, it's like all of the above, you know, it's like when I think about is, is there a deep state? Is there like a grand conspiracy? Maybe sort of kind of like, there are ways that people can manipulate and game the system to their own benefit. Yeah. But it's not like it's not like we're um, totally at the mercy of some some grand game the way some people imagine. Yeah. I think I think most of it has to do with like like George Carlin, the comedian, he said you don't need a conspiracy where the interests of the powerful align Mm. it just happens yeah you know i tend to think of things in terms of like patterns and systems like feedback loops when you have incentives yeah shit snowballs it's not a conspiracy it's more of a a matter of momentum yeah i agree i think i think that's the the biggest problem with our congress i think you know, when they're doing things that absolutely baffle us, um, I think that they're literally just 
in some sort of self-delusion where that, you know, they think they're doing, they literally think they're doing a good thing. You know, when you see Congress do something, the road to hell. Yeah. Paved in good intentions, man. That's it. I think most people are just there to either make, make a living or like do good. Mm -hmm. And they do whatever they think is best. But like, people don't understand the importance of things like feedback loops where it doesn't take much. It takes one incentive driven pattern to build and build and build. Right. You know, people want to support single mothers. So we have the welfare state and now you have people that intentionally keep the man out of the house to keep their status as a single mother. And, you know, because it's incentivized and, you know, good intentions or not, like what's the final result. That's why, again, I, you know, I often say like, just cause I'm an anarchist doesn't mean I want to overthrow everything all at once. Like, no, like what I want is, is less of the poor, like, um, perverse incentives. Mm. You know, like I'm not the day, the day that we have, less government than we need, I will be pro government. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. balance. Balance. Man. It <laughs> yeah. is. It's all about balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I would agree. We are definitely on the yin to the yang of small government. Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. Like it seems like that's how empires kind of tend to go. Is it's just you know it starts and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Feedback, um, feedback loops. I man. agree. Yeah. yeah. With what you were saying before um, about like, uh, you know, having faith in the everyday people, mm-hmm. um, I 100% agree with that. I think uh, so. Um, there's this like little like factoid. So the IQ, uh, when they do IQ tests, it has to be adjusted every so often because um, the IQ just gets higher every year or not every year, but like, really, yeah, I thought I almost heard recently that like for the first time ever, like IQ was going down. It, it may be. Yeah. It, like so in the last couple of years or something in like, the short term. So like in the long term, it, it's been going, yeah, up. it's been going up. Yeah. And, um, there's, uh, there's some theories for that. Like, so, you know, we, we live in an increasingly more abstract world. And so like, you're just exposed to more abstract ideas, uh, as you're, you know, as you're a, a child. Um, and, and this kind of like makes some sense. Like you could think, you know, um, when you're a kid, uh, and you're doing like addition, there's going to be like some kid in the class that just kind of like intuits multiplication. Mm-hmm. Well, well, at one point in time, you know, back in the like, uh, Arabic world, you know, it, multiplication was a huge deal when someone figured that out for the very first time. And, you know, there was like one or two people that figured it out. And, you know, that was an invention. That was a technology multiplication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, now we have, uh, you know, three-year-olds that are intuiting multiplication. So, you know, you can, you can kind of see how like this, like IQ, um, goes up a time. I'm forgetting where I was going with this. Um, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, sometimes we lose our track, <laughs> yeah. our, our, our thought track. Um, it's okay. Well, so like part of me thinks we are the least skilled generation ever on planet earth, Mm. but we are also the most educated. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it's like people know more, but know how to do less. Mm. You know, there's some kind of trade off happening there, but I think, okay. So if I can 
unless you have any thoughts you want to wrap up there. I was oh, going to say, it, it oh, came you found it. Yeah, okay. It look at that. Yeah. Look at that. Feedback loops. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So um, I was saying we, we underestimate the uh, intelligence of the average person. And I think, I think that is super true. I think, um, you know, I think politicians especially underestimate how much they can rely on the populace to do their job. Like, I think if, if uh, you know, a politician were to set up some kind of forum like Reddit, for their for their city where you know anybody can just post a, a problem like hey we got a pothole over here hey you know we got some homeless people over here there was just more communication and um you know a um a, a less friction environment for communication for a city um that would be the best politician just ever like right off the bat because they would be able to speak to the direct issues that like they know all the all the issues that are happening in their city they can speak to all of them. They can also rate them. They know which ones are, are more important than others because we got upvotes and um, and downvotes to, to see. You know, I see what you're saying now. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, that, that system, of course, would not be perfect. Um, you would have to have some sort of, like, a verification system. Or, what you're talking about, though, is direct democracy versus yeah. Represented, yeah. representative democracy. So I've, I've like, thought about this myself um, where – I, I don't know for sure if I believe in democracy, period. Yeah. That's a different question, okay? But, like, would direct democracy be better, okay? Because <clears throat> I've thought about how, like, with all the debate about whether or not the election was rigged, right? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, why are we using the same voting machines that we've been using for 20 fucking years when we have blockchain? Yeah. So we've already solved this problem of like a verifiable, un, un um, counterfeitable method of transaction. Yeah. That's all a vote is. It's a transaction. Yeah. It's verifiably true. What we need is a way to vote if democracy is going to work. Either way, even if we're still doing the representative thing, it has to be undeniably true that your vote gets counted as what you said, mm. right? Bitcoin solved this problem. The right. blockchain solved this problem. If they wanted honest democracy, we would be talking about how to make voting a, a coin of sorts. Yeah. You put your coin in one of two coffers and it's undeniably it's it's you can go in the record and find it. Yeah. Yep. But we're not doing that because people don't first of all, people don't understand blockchain. Yeah. And they don't but I don't know that even if you make it fully honest, first of all, you can manipulate elections on the front side. And we saw that covering up the the Hunter Biden laptop that is election interference. It's just not vote voter like data manipulation, but it's still interference. And I don't even want to talk about this shit necessarily, but my point is I think no matter which way you slice it, democracy is flawed because Mm. when you boil it down, it means that 51% of people can tell the 49 what's what Mm. that's not freedom. Yeah, because fifty-one percent of people could be wrong. Yeah, no, it's very true. Um, I don't think 
anyone besides the the founding fathers have come up with a you know i don't think anyone's come up with a better solution since the founding fathers of uh, to that particular I'd, problem i'd agree i'd agree yeah they did they did a pretty bang up job yeah still flawed though yeah yeah i mean uh i think the good news is we don't have to um have a direct democracy like even with with what i was describing like that isn't necessarily it's like closer to a direct democracy but it's not exactly and i don't think we'll ever get to this stage where like the stories back in athens where they you know they're voting on like every every issue and stuff i don't right, know if right. that actually happened but well, people ain't got the time for that shit yeah no no way um you know and actually speaking of voting systems too um before there was blockchain, we could have had much better voting systems where like maybe at your precinct, you just like you get a, a unique ID number and it says what you voted for next to that unique ID number. So you can just, you know, they, they print out the list of all of the unique ID numbers and their votes and you just post that up on a on a uh, uh, cork board and you could say, OK, here's my unique ID number. Here's all the votes that were cast. And then it just totals that up for the precinct. And you could make sure that that total um, matches what is sent to wherever the hell precincts are sent to. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you don't even need blockchain for that. Like, it's just some sort of system um, that you can check what's uh, what's being sent with that's still anonymous. Um, you know, that is that is you know uh, not not a difficult thing to do. But I think that doesn't happen because people don't care enough you know and that's just because we live in america and we have lots of things to entertain ourselves i think you know we, yeah i think uh at the tw- either 2016 or 2020 was the highest turnout in, in a long time and it was like 60 something percent um i think before that it may have been close to less than half of adults uh mm-hmm. voted mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> it's funny when you when you tell people that you don't vote because they they react pretty negatively a lot of times um but there's a funny what you're hitting at like a lot of people don't vote because they don't care yeah some people small small very small minority don't vote because they don't want to put their how do i say this nobody's worth voting for oh yeah Right, it's kind of like yeah. the the whole argument of lesser of two evils. No, you know, I think I'd rather abstain from voting for anyone who might be evil. You know, to me, if if Thomas Massey ran for president, I would go vote because I've shook that guy's hand and I like everything he tends to stand for, and he is he is to me a true representative. Yeah. You know, he he represents his constituency, which is Kentuckians. And he he votes the way they want him to vote and he's not afraid to stay like to stay true, right? Like he doesn't compromise. And I'm not trying to suck Thomas Massey's dick, but he's like the only him and maybe uh Rand Paul and I know, like, those are the two most, like, libertarian fucking dudes in Congress. But they're, they're at least, like, consistent. And yeah. 
give me a chance to vote for a guy like that and maybe I'll turn up and vote. But neither of them represent my constituency, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling, but <laughs> point is I, I just, I don't believe that voting should be obligatory yeah. or that you should be, you know, it's your civic duty. No, your civic duty is to hold everyone accountable. And like, if, if somebody's corrupt, don't vote for them. You know, like how many people are going to, I don't even know. Somehow they're, they're probably going to kill off Joe Biden. Cause honestly, are they really going to run that guy? If he's alive for the next election, I'll be surprised. <laughs> yeah. But like, how do you vote for that guy again? How do you do it? I except by, except by saying, well, better than Donald Trump. Yeah. And it's that's a horrible catch 22. I think it's better to opt out until there's a reasonable option. Yeah. I don't know cuz then agree. you know it's like you don't have the right to complain you didn't vote. No. You asked for this shit. I didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I 100% agree. So actually in uh um I'm from Colorado and so there You're I, not from Colorado. Oh, I'm from Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Colorado now. <laughs> Got to call you out, brother. We yeah. used to fool, you know, like you were my homie's little brother. First of all, we haven't yeah. even addressed it, but like yeah. my <laughs> Grady's brother Tegan was on the show episode like 20 something, right? Pretty early. early. Yeah. Pretty early. Yeah. And um, yeah, homesteading is for lovers. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was the episode. I was still figuring my shit out, um, but I'm glad Grady's here, man. Fucking A. But you did not grow up in Colorado. You grew up in Westfield, fucking Indiana. That's very true. That's very true. And I love Indiana, by the way. <laughs> and I'm here right now. Um, yeah. But I live in, in uh, Colorado right now. And uh, the only reason I mentioned that is because I um, helped out with uh, the forward party there. I don't know if you've heard of this, but... I believe I have, actually, but tell me. Yeah, yeah so it's... Uh, Andrew Yang started mm, it. Mm, um, mm. Yeah. It's... Uh, he kind of decided he doesn't want to be a political figure anymore and he started this party because he just realized like you know i I don't think i'm going to get anything done as a political figure because the system is just not going to work like it doesn't matter if i you know get a a million dollars in or a million probably a hundred million dollars in donations uh you know the system is still broken this is how i feel about um american politics at the moment it's like i don't I do not care about like any um, big issue in American politics. I do not care because the system is broken. It's mm-hmm. like we do not talk about all of these issues until we fix the system. Right. Um, right. The, the incentives are just not there. It's just not a working system. And, um, you know, I, I there are some things I agree and disagree with uh, the forward party, but... Um, you know, their whole thing is we need to fix this system. We need a third party in this system. We need people to have more options. We need a better voting system. Um, So they're about uh, ranked choice voting versus, um, Mm -hmm. you know, our standard, you vote for one person. Um, There's lots of different types of uh, voting uh, in addition to ranked choice voting that people are, I guess, uh, parties are considering on a state-by-state basis. Um, and uh, I think they make a lot of sense. Um, there's approval voting. There's something called star voting, which is maybe a little bit too complex to uh, for your, you know your entire general public. But I think the the uh, message is very clear that just voting for one person 
it just is not the incentive structure that we want. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we have set up a system that um, incentivizes um, what we have. It's like, I mentioned this a little bit in uh, that president video, but it's like, I, I don't think, you know, there, there's almost this assumption in the general public. It's like, oh, we just have bad leaders. No, I think we have a system that supports bad leaders. Like there is no other option that we get here. Like, yeah. you know, we, we think we've had these elections where at least me personally, I'm not a fan of Biden or Trump. Right. Um, and, uh, and I didn't, uh, vote in the, in, the, in 2020. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think that that is an anomaly. I think we have a system. There's a reason. There's a fucking yeah. reason. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's patterns. It's it's systems. It's feedback yeah. loops. Yeah. I, yeah. I think we're on the same page, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, how do you end up here except by yeah. forward momentum? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I guess what I want to ask you about, shifting gears... <clears throat> the who am I video. Um, this, this was a t- man, difficult, difficult subject yeah. to try to tackle. And I think you did a really, really good job. So sure. we haven't even said it yet, but Grady young on YouTube. Yeah. You just go by your name. That's my name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I, I kind of make the argument, a lot of people in like the Liberty movement are being anonymous Mm. and not wanting to show their faces. You know, I have people on the podcast that either keep their computer or their uh, camera turned off or they wear a mask. Yeah. Not a lot, a handful. And it's because they're afraid. It's because they're afraid of what the government might do to them for speaking out against the government. So I respect it. Yeah. You know, but I, frankly, I myself, I'm like, if I can't put my name on it, I ain't going to do it. Yeah. So respect for that, first of all. Um, but this Who Am I video, right? <laughs> now that we've talked about like names <laughs> and anonymity, yeah. uh, you know, self. Like, first of all, I guess maybe just tell me like what made you want to make that video? Mm. That's a good question. Um, Let me ask you an easy question. What is the real you. Now, as easy as that question sounds, it's been perhaps the biggest cause for debate among philosophers, theologians, and scientists since before these positions in society even existed. But really, what are you? Are you your body or your mind? Of course, this word you must refer to something because we use it all the time. Perhaps it's your personality. Or maybe it's the things you like to do, like your career. But neither of these things are your appearance. And that's you, right? Like if you see yourself in a picture or in the mirror, you know that's you. But if it's you in the reflection of a mirror, then who is looking in the mirror? Now, whatever you are, it seems to be closely tied to identity, which for now we'll call the sum of the descriptions that make us up. Shy, curious, aggressive, tall, small, etc. 
But nowadays, our society's hyper-focus on producing more faster has created a world where these attributes about ourselves can be edited on a whim. Everything from social media facial filters, video calling app filters, video game characters, and the entirely customizable virtual world of the metaverse are ushering in a new way to express yourself. And you may say, oh no, this is just online, but we still have our real lives. Except our real lives are quickly being replaced by semi or completely virtual ones, thanks to technology and a pandemic-induced shift toward preferring anything that can be done virtually. Why would we go back to a world where you have to drive to get groceries, go to school or work, or go see the doctor when a safer and cheaper alternative exists and is proven to work? And in this new virtual world, your online presence will be more important than your real presence. So your new identity to the rest of the world is this, or whatever grid of pixels you replace that with. And even if the virtual world hasn't dawned yet, it surely will soon enough. Would you turn down vacations to the French Riviera, afternoons in the greatest museums, and underwater strolls amongst the Great Barrier Reef, all from the safety and comfort of your living room? And on top of all of this, the virtual world allows you to meet people completely anonymously, absolutely free from the baggage of your real life. A real opportunity to be whoever you want in a world where your imagination is literally the only limit to possibility. Now this idea of the virtual world swallowing our entire lives bit by bit can be scary. But is this really the first time humanity has come to this precipice? The philosopher Alan Watts, perhaps almost as well known for his rascality as for his finesse with the English language, often told the origin story of the word person. It goes like this. Person comes from the Latin personae, which refers to the mask that was worn in Roman and Greek dramas. The masks were the focal point of an actor's costume because of the human sensitivity to faces. And as a result, they often displayed exaggerated emotions of anger, comedy, tragedy. People loved the dramas so much, the masks actually transcended the plays and were interwoven into everyday objects like jewelry, oil lamps, vases, and even small statues resembling action figures. In the 4th and 5th centuries AD, Christological debates were held to disambiguate humans from nature. Here, it was decided Christ would be called the person or mask of God meaning the human form of God as opposed to the natural. Thereafter, the word person referred to humanity instead of its previous meaning, a mask. Or put another way, the mask became the person. If you study history, you'll see this is far from a unique case. As humans, we perpetually mistake our representations for reality as the real thing. Perhaps the greatest illusions were birthed from the transition of hunter-gatherer society to agricultural society about 10,000 years ago. In a hunter-gatherer tribe, there was essentially one job for everyone, protect and maintain the tribe. When society started to form around agriculture, there was a requirement that individuals specialize into different jobs. Thus, out of necessity, society created farmers, warriors, priests, and kings. And with the threat of war, the very well-being of society as a whole hung in the balance of how well the society could cooperate and work together. 
This required that each individual do their specific job for the societal machine. So it was extremely important that people not only do their job, but they act out and become their job. Over generations, people forged their own mass by indoctrinating social roles as farmers, warriors, priests, and kings, in everything from their fashion to their stories told about these roles. And while it's easy for us to see the mythical stories like Hercules or Gilgamesh passed down through generations are imagined, the very roles and ideologies behind them are just as fictional. And this isn't to say that these fictions are wrong or bad. In fact, it's no wonder that society progressed in this way. As the historian Yuval Noah Harai has said, it's not human intelligence, but the ability to create and believe fictions that is Homo sapiens' true superpower. All the huge achievements of humankind throughout history, whether it's building the pyramids or flying to the moon, have been based not on the individual abilities, but on this ability to cooperate flexibly in large numbers. So how are we able to cooperate to achieve great things? Our imagination. Religions, legal systems, corporations, and even money are all stories. None of these things are objective realities. You can touch and feel a rock or tree or water, but no matter how hard you look, you can never find God, a legal system, a corporation, or money in reality. A green piece of paper can't feed you or keep you warm. Its only value exists from the intersubjective belief that it has value. Its story. We humans... We also live in an objective reality, in our world too. There are rivers and trees and lions and elephants. But over the centuries, we have constructed on top of this objective reality a second layer of fictional reality, a reality made of fictional entities like nations, like gods, like money, like corporations. And what is amazing that as history unfolded, this fictional reality became more and more powerful, so that today the most powerful forces in the world are these fictional entities. Since these stories are so powerful, they've become ubiquitous in our daily lives, so it's hard not to confuse them for objective reality. This idea is succinctly put by René Magritte's Treachery of Images. The words and symbols we use to represent objects often seem just as real as the object itself. So at first, this looks like a contradiction. But of course, that is not a pipe. That is an image of a pipe. Every man-made image, word, or symbol must refer to something, either another image or reality itself. And only reality, the bare naked version free of symbols, can sit silent referring to nothing at all. Today, we already live virtual lives where we're taught by society to believe we are our individual roles. But if this is the case, what is the real you? Just try thinking of yourself for a moment. What do you see? What you physically look like? Clearly, that's not you, because a person born blind has no conception of appearance, and they still exist, right? 
let's say we could create an exact copy of you down to every atom in your body. Is that you? Of course not, because the real you is standing there looking at the copy of you. So it would even be wrong to say that you're every atom in your body in the same way that the actors in Rome weren't one and the same as their mass. And whatever is in that picture, it's not a pipe. You are not your representations, no matter how detailed. If this is still confusing, look at the word individual, that which cannot be divided. Of course, you are tall, short, funny, awkward. You're all of your atoms, your personality, and your image of yourself too. But you are never merely one of those things. You're always all of it, all at once. You are that which cannot be divided into words or anything at all. Society has always told us what we are because that's how it survives. And the growth of technology will only ramp this up. On this new stage of drama, the difference between reality and representation will only become more obscure. All of us already wear a mask called an avatar, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, video games, a messaging app, or the metaverse. There is some sort of symbol that represents you. In the upcoming years, as we move to not only doing leisure, but work and doctor visits and everything else virtually from the safety of our homes, we will come across less and less people and more and more avatars in daily life. So just like the word person, it is only a matter of time before a word that used to mean our playful mask online, avatar, will mean a human being itself, you. This is the first day of my life It's where I was born Actually, I, I mean, I don't, the, the real answer is I don't remember what the, <laughs> it was so long ago. <laughs> well, it was about a year ago, I think, right? Yeah, but uh, like I said before, like, you know, all of, all of those videos were like, uh, you know, notes that were in my phone probably two years prior to me actually making it. Um, so I don't remember what the original thought was, but I think, you know, it's something like, um, you know, I, I mean, it was during the pandemic, you know, and I see mm -hmm. us kind of like hurtling towards this new future. No one really seems to be thinking about like, you know, like we uh, we seem to just be maybe a little bit too uh, accepting and just kind of like going for whatever the, the technology may be. And I, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I like I like technology. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I code sometimes in my job and like, you know, I think, I think technology is a good thing and I think even mm -hmm. like AI too. But, um, yeah, I think we, we must be wary about, um, about what we're doing. Like, I don't know. You, you see, you see people that, you know, are, I guess to speak very, very generally as, as a person in life, you see people that are unhappy sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you, you kind of like pick up on patterns of, of why people are unhappy. And I think 
what I was trying to do there is just picking up on a, on a pattern of, um, you know, I think part of the reason why people are unhappy is to do with not knowing what identity actually is. Um, and this is a, a hard thing to talk about because there's almost no way to talk about it without getting, uh, pretty fucking, uh, philosophical, but identity is, um, excuse me, it's identity is a symbol for what you are. So in that video, um, I started off with, um, it's a picture of a girl and it zooms out and um, it shows that it's not actually a picture of a girl. It's a, a girl looking in a mirror at a reflection of herself. And that's kind of the entire idea um, behind an identity. So um, like an identity is not you. It's a reflection of you. But identity is so important for like so many of the things that we consider important in society, like, you know, uh, voting, like a political party and stuff like that. Nowadays, you know, this is might get me canceled, but, um, you know, identity is the main player in understanding you know, gender. Um, and I think there's a lot of confusion there. They call it, they call it identity politics. Right. For, for a good reason. Right. It's a matter of, who am I versus who are you? Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I think I think fundamentally as a society, we don't understand that an identity is always going to be a reflection, a symbol. It an identity is not real. I feel like that that's kind of like a hard thing to to understand to unpack, but um, you talking like ego death? Um, I, here I'll do an example. Um, okay. okay, so there's there's the word or the phrase knocking on a table. Okay, and then there's this knocking on a table. Those are different things. One's a representation; the other yeah. is the thing. Yeah. Right? Yep. So like like you said in your video, you talked about the, you know, this is not a pipe. Yeah. Yeah. For anyone that's not familiar, uh, it's like a French cartoon, if you will. Or yeah. maybe we'd call it a meme mm-hmm. in our current vernacular. Yeah. So, but it's very, um, it's probably a couple hundred years old at this point, right? It's, 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 a, it's an image of a pipe. Yeah. And underneath the pipe, it says, this is not a pipe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, so, um, there's actually, so that, that artist, Rene Magritte, there's a, he has a more famous image that you may have seen where it's just a guy's, uh, face covered by an apple. Uh, that's probably his most famous piece of artwork. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just this idea that, um, humans often get confused by symbols. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like this is, uh, this is just something that we perpetually do because, uh, I mean, symbols are an extremely important thing to, to our lives. Like they're extremely powerful. What I'm doing right now 
is making noises with my mouth that are symbols into yeah. this microphone. Right, right, right. And it's it's just essential. I mean, there's a you know a beer can in front of me that has uh, you know a very precisely printed paint that in in very specific shapes to represent you know a certain idea in my head. Yeah. You know, it's it's a uh, w- when you think about it in that sense, like there's just paint on metal um, that is this beer can. But it's it's positioned. It has, it has only only as much significance as you give it. Right. Right. And we tend to give symbols a lot of significance, and uh, yeah. So I mean, this is where it goes back to identity. Like identity is perhaps the thing, the symbol that we give the most significance. And I think it's almost. I, I mean, I'm speaking like uh, above my intelligence here, so you know, bear with me. I disagree. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean. Uh, Identity is, um, I think it's a very useful tool for life, but only if you understand that it's a symbol. If, if you don't understand that, you're going to hit some point in life where you're like, oh, like I'm, you're having, you know, some sort of like identity crisis where you're like, I'm not myself. You know, you have your midlife crisis or, you know, you have, uh, you know, a fight with a, a significant other because they're not making you feel like yourself. Or, um, you know, you, you think you're a failure because you are not, uh, you know, what was in your uh, mind's eye of an expectation of yourself. We create these images of ourself and then we play out our lives. And when our lives don't meet that image... Mm. It's just this breaking, but we oh, we heartbreak, you know. We it's just this breaking point for us. But if we realize in that moment, that was an image. That wasn't actually what we are. Like it was just not what we are. I mean, at the same time, identities are useful, but it's not you, <sighs> brother. Brother, <laughs> this is a can of worms, and that's why it's probably good we got an hour in before we cracked <laughs> cracked into it. Yeah, because. Um, Recently, I covered this idea of enmeshment, mm. and before I even got to the idea of enmeshment, I covered what I call like uh, perpetual adolescence, mm. and and then I covered estrangement, and then I covered enmeshment. Did you happen to listen to that one? So yeah, I listened to the one um, Disney kid or Disney adults. Yeah. Adult yeah. adult children. Yes. Um, yeah. This issue of autonomy. Yeah. Of of raising kids to develop over time more and more autonomy. Yeah. As the, you know, that should be the goal. But in my mind, unfortunately, we've lost that goal, and we've we've kept young adults in a state of perpetual adolescence because they've never been able to realize their sense of self. And there's, I think there's a, a difference between sense of self and identity, right? So like, I'll admit, I have made the mistake of basically making my identity out of the things I, I do, the things I own, the things I, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like my, my shit. Yeah. And there's, there's a mistake being made there where you are more than that. 
You are not what you do, what you own, what you yeah. say, what you think. You're 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 something more. You're something more intangible. Um, yeah. I this issue of en- enmeshment to me is very interesting because it's the idea that you lose part of yourself in others. Mm. You are enmeshed. You, there's a lack of definition between, oops, between the other and you. And I'm not saying that's necessarily always a bad thing. You know, I think when you, when you get married, for instance, yeah, it's no longer me and you, it's us. Yeah. Right. But a lot of people experience what they call enmeshment trauma, where it's you you cannot distinguish yourself. You cannot um, be true to yourself because you're trying to be what the other wants you to be hmm. instead of what you are. Yeah. And when we get all mixed up about identity, it's, I think, because we we lack a sense of self to begin with. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I think, I think this is true. I mean, yeah, this is some deep stuff, so it's it's kind of hard to think about. But like, I think in some sense, like there there are things that you definitely are. You are something that poops and, and eats and <laughs> yeah. sleeps and yeah, right, yeah. Right. And there's there are basic things that you just cannot get around. You are a biological entity. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you like to, speaking of enmeshment you like that entity isn't dependent upon another entity. Like it's not like written in your DNA that you must like fall in love with whatever you, whoever you would be enmeshed with. So it's like, so I assume in that situation, um, you know, you're uh, in some sort of love relationship, whether it is, you know, um, uh, a parent or a sibling or, you know, an, an actual, an, a lover. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you have created an identity that is dependent upon them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, whenever something, when, when they do something that is big that you did not expect, or in fact, they do the big thing, they, you know, end that relationship, um, then you cannot handle it. Um, and you know, you, you are broken because your reality is broken. You know, I, I thought this is the way that reality was and you broke that you were dependent upon that person. Um, and you, um, you know, I think at the root, like you desire, uh, desired that person. And I think, I mean, a lot of this uh, philosophy that I'm saying now, I think could be, um, brought back to like a, a Buddhism type uh, thing, which just to give like a little bit of a preface, I'm not like a, a Buddhist or anything. Uh, I like dabbling in all the philosophies, but um, I think there is this sort of thing where we kind of, we desire to be attached to things. And in fact, I think when you think more about desire itself, desire just is an attachment, you know, where you're just, uh, you know, cycling through thinking about something. Um, and, uh, 
and I think that's that's unhealthy because uh, to, to, I mean to go back to what we were saying before, like you you are uh, a pooping, laughing, uh, <laughs> you know, crying, yeah. snotting human. Yeah, yeah. But you're not, you know, like built to. Uh, this is hard to put into words. You're not like destined to fall in love. It's not your right. To, it's not your right. Yeah. yeah, there is no uh, fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. We could debate about fate versus free will and shit, but like, yeah. no, I agree. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is why I covered the Disney adult thing. So like, I like beat the shit out of that dead horse. I'm like, <laughs> because I think I think it's the extreme of what many of us kind of are. Like, yeah, not all of us, but not all the time, but like we fall prey to this like fairy tale falsehood of happily ever after and like fate and like destiny and like, you know, this and that. No, like life is what you make of it. I, I hate to say it, but until you've like met and talked to people like on their way out, Mm -hmm. people whose lives were miserable, The whole time, you know, like nothing ever went their way. Yeah. 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 Tell me there's, you know, happily ever after, after you've talked to somebody like that, you know? Yeah. No, life is what, what it is, man. Life is tough. It's like slight tangent, but I was at the bar last night with my dog and I handed him off to somebody else because I, I was dry, went in for another beer and, and it took probably four, three or four minutes, right, to get mm. a beer. I come back out, and Maggie, the gal I handed Doc to, um, she's like, he, she had him, you know, she had him, but he's like, she says, he got away. <laughs> well, apparently, like, you got him, right? Yeah. yeah. But no, he got away because there was a bunny. He saw a little baby, a baby bunny, mm. even better in his yeah. mind. He's he's a little killer, man. Snack. That's <laughs> nom, 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 nom. <laughs> And so he bolts and she was just like holding loosely onto the leash and it just came out of her hand. Mm. And apparently a little baby cardinal got into the mix somehow, Uh. fell out of the nest. Doc fucked it up. Mm -hmm. Doc was like, "Ah, let's tear shit up. Right. And Maggie is all like, oh my God, what do we do? Like this baby bird needs help. Da da da. Like Maggie, I'm sorry, but like, that baby bird's fucked. Yeah. You know, it's that dead. baby bird's dead. It's not yeah. dead yet, but it's going to be. You yeah. know, some stray cat or raccoon or dog mm. is going to eat the fuck out of that little baby bird. Yeah. And I, you know, best best you get over it now because, you know, yeah. ain't nothing you can do. You know, take it to the goddamn animal hospital and see what they say. You know, they're going to tell you the same thing as me. Yeah. And, um, it's a sad reality, but, um, you know, it's not Mary Poppins out here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but like, I feel like I've always kind of had a little bit of a, for some reason, more sober view towards death. Uh, mm-hmm. my best guess is, um, my grandparents were just a lot older when I was growing up. So like I spent a lot of time in hospitals and stuff as they were passing away. They're all dead now. Yeah. Me too. Um, me too. So, I mean, that's my, my best guess, but like, yeah, I think, uh, man, our society is really good about not thinking about death. 
we love distracting ourselves from death. Um, Plastic surgery, <laughs> makeup, yeah. fucking uh, you know, pills and shit. Yeah. Oh, just stay forever young. You're never going to die. Yeah. I literally was talking to somebody today that was like, yeah, I don't think about how my dog's going to die because I'm, you know, my, my husband's like a, a, a scientist and he keeps saying like, we'll, we'll find a way to make him live forever. I'm like, you're delusional as fuck. Fuck. Yeah. Seriously, man. Like, I, I thought about the, the day I got Doc, the day I adopted him. I'm like, okay, if you're getting a dog, you got to just accept the fact right fucking now yeah. that he's going to die someday. Yeah. And you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. You know? I mean, and then there's the big one, um, you know, that each of us is going to die. Um, which, I mean, to be fair to the uh, delusional out there, we do live in an age where it's not, I guess, 0% chance that by the time we're 100, you know, there is a technology to make us live for at least a lot longer than we normally live. And I think that, like, is a field of, of science, which is just, you know, baffling to think about. But um, even if that is the case, I think, me personally, I would prefer to just die a natural death um, and... Uh, um, I don't know. I think the the thing about dying is um, you, you cannot think about it because, like, you know, w- when you think about death, you tend to think about, oh, it's just this, like, black, you know, it's, like, black, like, no sensory input or something like that. Well, no, it, it's not that because that's you thinking about something. Like, Going back to the symbols, right? Yeah. That's, that's just your interpretation. Exactly. Like, yeah. you cannot think about death because there is no thinking in death. Can you think about what it was like before you were alive? Uh, yeah, I think that's the best That's the best you can get, um, which, uh, I mean, to me, I, I can't think about what, like... I tend to have a certain, like, loose belief that we inherit a certain amount of ancestral knowledge and mm. that our, our, our life, our experience in some way carries on. But then again, maybe only now this is getting a little bit like dark, but like maybe only if you have kids, mm. otherwise maybe your shit is you know, done. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's dark, man. That's dark. Yeah, I, but, it's, you know, it's like it's the whole thing when you uh, when you're like half asleep and you think you're falling and it start, oh, and it yeah. startles you awake. Yeah. Do you know why that happens? No, it's because we used to be monkeys uh, and we used to sleep in trees. Uh, and if you got the sensation that you were falling, mm. it's because you were slipping out of a tree. So, you, so you'd grab hold on. on. What do you, what do you, when that sensation hits you, what do you want to do? You want to grab onto something. Yeah. You wake up like. Lurch. Yeah. And I said this to somebody recently and they're like, bullshit. That's not, ah, fuck you. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like you were a monkey and you were a member. Yeah. You know, ancestral memory. There's a really cool book. It's called Clan of the Cave Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a whole series, but it was this author that wrote about like prehistoric people, like cave people. And this book is about like a human girl whose whole tribe gets like killed by a natural like disaster of some kind. I forget like mudslide or flood or something. She's the sole survivor. She gets adopted by Cro-Magnons. 
Cro-Magnons? As in a different hominoid. Okay. Um, what would you say? Yeah, Cro-Magnon, like, like, like not Homo sapien. Okay. Yeah, Homo something else. Homo or? erectus or whatever. Yeah. Like Cro-Magnon man. Okay. And which is a different species. But we what do they say? A lot of a lot of people have Am I saying the right one with Cro-Magnon? Like when you do your 23 and me and they say you've got so much um like chromosomes or uh, so much of like oh Neanderthal? Neanderthal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. I want to say Cro-Magnon might be like one before oh, Neanderthal okay. or something okay. but like yeah. Gotcha. I I might be mixing shit up. It don't okay. matter. The point is she gets adopted by these other humanoids. Okay. Not the same but similar. She learns to speak the language. You know, it's like a four-year-old child when when the shit goes down. Mm. As she gets older, she understands that she doesn't. She's not the same as them. Mm. You know, like identity identity crisis. Yeah. And um, but the, the the thing I found fascinating was this idea that this is clearly out of the author's imagination, but I like the idea and it could have legs where the Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon, whatever the fuck, they had a much more keen sense of ancestral memory mm. when it came to the use of like plants and herbs and 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 sort of like a very direct sense of like this is what we've always done. Yeah. Um and even like dreams of of past lives that are very clear and very true. Yeah. I mean you you hear about kids that are born who three, four years old can play the piano. Yeah. I mean, where the fuck does that come from, man? Yeah. Like ancestral memory, I think is a, is a real thing. And when it comes to the, the, like we've been talking like symbols and like what we identify with and what we identify as politically or otherwise, I think people are just, operating out of like instinct half the time Mm. and they feel like a tribal urge to hitch their wagon to a train right yeah and and if we were maybe a little more in touch with our ancestral memory maybe we'd realize that like there's a lot of danger in giving up your autonomy giving up your power to something else Hmm. Like, it wasn't that long ago that Hitler ruled half of Europe. Yeah. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, yeah. I know I'm jumping from one thing to the next, but, like, to me, the the, inst- the instinct for freedom is so very powerful, yeah. but a lot of people get talked out of it, if you catch my drift. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I mean... I think we're starting to realize this as a society, but we have created a society that, you know, is so far from what we were evolved for. And actually, this is really interesting because I can't remember if you said this uh, when I met you before in the Grand Junction, the bar, or if it was on your podcast somewhere. But I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to listen to this podcast because I heard you talk about how um, like decentralized communities, mm. um, and I think I honestly, honestly believe like that is the future. So, um, 
like econ nerding again for a second, like we we have created unbelievable technology in this world from centralization. I mean, the fact that like I can get on my phone right now and just start like randomly messaging people from India and someone will probably reply within a couple minutes. That's fucking insane. Like I can talk to someone in India probably within 20 minutes from right now. Less. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is insane. If you think about the course of human history now, and I mean, it it plays into everything. The fact that a t-shirt is, you know, at the lowest price, roughly speaking, that it has ever been, um, is also, you know, uh, a, uh, a consequence of uh, centralization. I mean, the fact that a lot of things can be efficiently produced is uh, a consequence of centralization. But I think what we're starting to realize as a society um, is that centralization is not all, you know, the, the, where it's at. It's not all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah. It ain't, it ain't the bee's knees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's cheap. It's efficient. Exactly. It's it's convenient. Yeah. But sometimes maybe it's better to pay a little more for for exactly. higher quality shit. Yeah. You know, a t shirt that lasts you three years before it's full of holes versus one that'll last forever. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. And I think this is our society is a, for lack of a better word, a slut for you know the the former there where we we love our cheap shit. Fast, uh, fast and cheap. Yeah, you know, I, I heard a, I've heard this a couple times from different places, but it's a common thing with contractors where they say it's like a good pitch kind of thing. If you're trying to like get a contract, you say you can get it good, you can get it fast, you can get it cheap. <laughs> the best you can hope for though is two of the three. Mm. Can't get all three. Yeah, right. It's either going to be good and fast, and it won't be cheap. Yeah. Or it'll be fast and cheap, but it won't be good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. how, you know, give every, every combination a try. It, it works. Yeah. But, like, no, dude, we are a, we are a, con, we're a convenience culture. We're like a, um, I, I've often said, like, a disposable culture. Yeah. Everything is disposable. Everything's single use. That's, like, the whole thing with, uh, from, Fight Club, like single serving friends and shit, like you know the single serving sugar, the single serving peanuts. The yeah. you know we 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 only have the attention span of a fucking goldfish. Yeah, like Instagram, TikTok, you know, like yeah. cheap and Pleasure. fast, but but it ain't good. It ain't good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I don't know. I think, like, I'm I'm glad that we. I guess have gone through this phase because you know, like there's some technology that's like just good, you know, like it's mm-hmm. hard to argue that uh, like a bike, there's anything like bad about a bike. Fucking a. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, yeah, like I'm, I'm glad, you know, we, we are where we are in, uh, in, in society, but I, I'm also glad that I think we are starting to realize like, yeah, centralization is, is not all that. Cause there's, um, there's that one number. I think it's Dunbar's number. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 150 yep. people. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, like, to me, that's just like you can easy. you can you can know a thousand people, but you can only really know yeah. 150 yeah. or so. Yeah. To me, I mean, like when I hear something like that, though, I'm just like, why do we not live in communities of 150 people? Like straight after that. I mean, I guess you know we we need to 
it takes a long time to learn that as a society. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, how long is it going to take for us to learn that lesson where it's like, you know, that's what our communities should look like, Um, you know, maximum 150 people. I think that's that's the breaking point where, you know, two tribes split off after it gets, you know, it used to it used to happen naturally. Now we're like bombarded with other influences other than what's like instinctual because yeah i mean the tribe might have swelled to 250 before finally the breaking point occurs and it's like okay there's a power struggle this many people are going with that motherfucker this many people are sticking with this motherfucker and no it was natural it just happened um but it, it it is ingrained in us um and I don't think you can ever make it happen top down, but people are waking up to sort of the benefits of a tribal in, you know, existence. Yeah. Like a lot of people talk shit about our tribal, you know, tribal mentality and shit. And I agree when you, when you boil it down to Democrats and Republicans, yeah. those are the only two tribes. Yeah. We've got issues. Yeah. You're what you're doing is weaponizing our psychology. You know, it's like, it was good to go back and revisit some of the shit I put out three years ago. Like I said earlier, it's like I don't agree with it all, but it was good to re-listen. And one section I was talking to my buddy, Ashwin, who's speaking of Indians. You know, I could call him right now. You, yeah. you say it'd take 20 minutes. I say it'll take 10 seconds, man. I'll get a hold yeah. of somebody in India. Actually, he's in Thailand right now, but it's all good. But anywho, uh, he was... Fuck, did I lose it? Did I lose it? Uh, communities. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were talking about Dunbar's number and shit. Yeah. Fuck. Um. <laughs> hey, that happens. <laughs> it happens. Um, damn, it'll come back. It's okay though. That's uh, that sucks. I hate I hate when you lose the momentum like that. But, right. Me too. Um, anywho. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I hate it too. It's it's a great example of like uh, kind of that. It's like a mini example of that identity where it feels like you know um, it's, you should be able to always complete your thoughts. That's kind of what you've identified with. You know, and I do this too. I say I'm using the word you, but obviously I do this. But identified with someone that doesn't um, lose their train of thoughts. But it's just <laughs> as normal as farting and <laughs> coughing and pooping and smiling and yeah, all the other things that are human. Uh, cause this is a, this is a limited piece of software in our school. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, oh, it's so frustrating though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fuck it. It's gone. Fart in the wind. <laughs> gone. Uh, but anyways, dude, um, I don't know. We've been going, we've been going like two hours, not quite, but I, you know, I don't have any questions for you, but like, I'd be happy to just let you say whatever is, is at the front of your mind now, like you said, you're, you're working maybe on more videos and shit. Like I, I'm yeah. curious just what you've been fucking thinking about and shit. Oh man. I have, uh, I've probably, I think over 50 like work in progress essays. Um, just like on Google drive. Um, but, uh, I mean all sorts of things like from not as important as like what, what is the greatest song in American history to, um, more important stuff like, uh, you know, like the political, why our political, uh, system is, is so dysfunctional and why it's really important, I guess, 
I guess makes a lot of sense to not take a side. Mm-hmm. Actually, a, a, a fact on that. So there's this poll that um, is either Pew or Gallup does every year for a while. And uh, it's something like as a blank Republican or Democrat, um, do you think that the opposite side is like when they have power, will they do good? Will they do bad? Or will they like actively destroy our democracy? And I think the last time I looked, we're at about 86%, I think approximately on each side thinks that the other side will actively destroy our democracy. And it just rises every single year. It's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's, that's the problem that I see in America right now. And also, I wrote an essay on this uh, on my website, but like, also with that, I think what people tend to miss there is like, that is our enemy's greatest possible outcome is that we divide ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, you know, we we tend to think like both Republicans and Democrats kind of like try to use Russia and China as like this. Uh, puzzle piece and it's like oh the the other side is like too nice to them or, or you know they're they're not being open enough or something like that no russia does not give a fuck about democrats or republicans mm-hmm. they're not trying to join either side what is the first rule of war divide and conquer mm-hmm. <laughs> they want us to be doing what we're doing right now mm-hmm. we are playing exactly into their into their hand and the greatest thing that you could do to fight against Russia or China is to walk up to that neighbor that you fucking hate that has, you know, that sign in their yard that you fucking hate mm-hmm. and be like, you want to come over for, for dinner? We're, we're having some, you yeah. know, roast, whatever the fuck. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is the greatest thing that you could possibly do against Russia and China. That would be the worst thing for them is for us to be united. Um and we like, of course, politics, you know, does what it does. It's con- tried, like to convince us that, um, oh, like, you know, the the uh, Democrats are, you know, siding with uh, I don't even know what it is <laughs> with Russia or China. I can't keep up with this shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the, the greatest thing that you can do, I guess, for, you know, American uh, homeland security is to be united. Um so, yeah, uh, I can dig it, man. Uh, I, I hope you get those video essays put together. I think you did a great job, like I said, with the first three. And um, you said something about like being instead of like taking as much time with them, like just putting yourself in front of the camera and just putting them out. Yeah. Do whatever you think is best, but. The format you had with those first three was a good format. And from what I've found with what I'm doing, like, hmm, how do I say? It gets easier over time. When mm. you get your formula, when you get your um, mm. your groove, like, yeah. so I'm sure you put a lot of work into those videos. Yeah. But yeah. It'd, get, it'd, it'd get easier and easier, you know, every time. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of people just putting their face in front of a webcam and talking. Yeah. Myself included <laughs> at times. But there might be something to doing it. I'm not saying the same as you've already done it, but yeah. like having having the images, having the 
I don't know. There's something there. There's something yeah. there, potentially. I, I think uh, I think I got to work that out. You know, and yeah. that's just going to be a numbers game. Um, I think I just I just need that quantity. To my my mind is just like whatever whatever gets to that number, and I think mm-hmm. uh, ease is just what what I'm thinking about at the moment. But yeah, I mean, I'm definitely I'm not abandoning that that type of video style. Yeah, that um, format. Yeah, yeah, it just takes effort. But uh, one thing I wanted to say, uh, if we're wrapping up, but yeah. um, on the poetry bit, there's actually a, a really well known poet um, from Bloomington. Um, maybe you've heard of, uh, his name's Ross Gay and, uh, hmm. he's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, if, uh, if you like poetry, I would definitely check him out. He's, um, I would say like, you know, in the top tier, whatever that is of poets in the world. Um, he's a, a really interesting dude. Uh, I love, he's got this poem called, um, catalog of unabashed gratitude. And I think that is my favorite poem. It's no just, shit. No yeah. shit. All right. Yeah. I'll check that out. Yeah. yeah. You know, this fucking fly has been pissing me off. <laughs> yeah, it's all about. You know, I hope it doesn't come across in the recording, but if you have heard a fly buzzing around, it's because there is one. And I've got, look, Grady can attest. I've got four, wait, no, three, three fly papers. Four. Wait, there's another one. On yeah, you're right. Yeah. Four. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I need more. Yeah. You know, well, I keep the door open for the doggo. Uh, and yeah. so he, you know, the flies come in. Shit, I think we got two of them now. <laughs> it's just practicing our zen. <laughs> hey, we've done good. It hasn't yeah. bothered us in the slightest. I yeah. think they like your hair gel. <laughs> I don't have hair gel. <laughs> Maybe it's just sweat. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, man, it's been really fun. Um, yeah, I'm still pissed I couldn't complete that one thought, but that's what happens. That's right. Yeah, long podcast, so get back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, we should do another. Yeah, because uh, I'm done. You're, I'm saying, man, um, you're thinking the right kind of things. I can't say you're thinking them right. I can't <laughs> say you're, you know, you know, you you got it figured out. Yeah. Neither do I. But like, <laughs> hey, we've. Um, I I think I have a hard time with people who aren't aren't at least searching mm. a little bit. Yeah. Because we're in a time where like shit's just so weird. Yeah. Like we got to do some figuring, we got to talk it out and we got to I don't know, try try to make it better, right? Yeah. I think you and I are on the same page as far as that kind of shit goes. I think yeah. we are. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I I love this conversation. I love conversations in general. It's hey, my favorite amen. part of being human. <laughs> amen, dude. Putting the symbols to thoughts. Yeah, right? man. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for having me. No doubt, uh, man. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. Tell your bro I say hi. I should probably just call him and like say what up. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> he literally doesn't have a phone number at the moment. <laughs> oh, go figure. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah, he's a recluse. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he's... What do I got to email him? Is that... Honestly, that or like <laughs> he's on Discord. <laughs> uh, right on. Okay. Yeah, like... yeah. Yeah. But no, dude, it's always good to see like... Um, you know, people from growing up who, yeah. who are doing cool shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. You're doing a lot of cool shit and, uh, Ryan, man, I, I look up to you in that sense. Cause you know, there's a lot of people that are just living life, you know, oh, what is that quote of, uh, like quiet desperation? Oh, that's um, a, um, Henry David Thoreau quote. Yeah. 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 Most people live lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's true. Yeah. You know? Too. Yeah, you might as well like 
I don't know. I hope. Yeah, you might as well, might as well be desperate and loud. <laughs> yeah. At least you know you're alive at that point. Yeah, 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 man. It's all about being alive, man. Don't yeah. be a cog in the wheel. Be a fucking, be a fucking thorn in their side. <laughs> you know. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Appreciate it, man. Good yeah. times. Good times. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> If you would like to donate to the Easy Peasy Podcast, please go to easypeasy.ittybitty.tips. Thanks for listening. <laughs>